This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to the Chelsea fan cast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery. The show that says, "Can we play away every week?" Uh, another cracking away match, another good win, another Tammy and Pulisic goal, another three points. All is well as Chelsea, as a Chelsea supporter living in a Frankie Wonder world. Now, the best thing appears to be that we still have some way to go. The defence is still hairy at times and we're still prone to being profligate in front of goal. But none of us genuinely expected Chelsea to be doing as well as we are. Equal third place and already six points ahead of Arsenal in fifth. Better still, two of the most derided players from last season, Jorginho and Kovacic, have formed a partnership as good and wholesome as bacon and eggs. Once Rudiger and Kante are back fit, Frank Lampard might actually find himself with a real selection headache. What a lovely position to be in. Covergino, the Chelsea fancast, 479. There you go. Somebody very rudely said I'd spelt cappuccino wrong. I think it was uh, Aussie, Aussie broke my leg or signed my broken leg. And I said Kofifi was what he should have said. So there you go. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, moving swiftly along, um, we have a stellar lineup as always. Uh, we have joining me, we've got Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Lovely to be on the show, Chidge. Lovely to be on the show with the marvellous Joe Tweedy. And in fact, uh, we can both stop speaking and Joe can just run the show because Joe is like that. So he knows so much. Yeah, but- I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping so, mate. I'm hoping yeah, so. Exactly, exactly. Good. Yeah, always good to have Joe on. Um, I, I, do you know what, Joe? You do so many podcasts now. I, I always feel doubly privileged when we get you on. To be honest, mate. No, this is the uh, this is still home. So oh, uh, yeah, I'm still, uh, I, I, man, I, that's the nicest thing somebody said to yeah. me all day, Joe. You've made my <laughs> evening and day. What a lovely thing to say. Well, we we are definitely privileged to have you on. It's going to be a cracker tonight. Lots and lots and lots and lots to discuss. So we're going to get straight on with it. Because uh, on, the, on the show tonight, we're going to discuss how well Jorginho and Kovacic have combined to become the heart of Chelsea's midfield. And we ask, what happens when Kante is fit again? 
In part two, we discuss, discuss even another good performance and result with seven away wins on the trot. But there are still improvements to be made. Uh, we also have the usual parish notices and a teaser. A teaser. Well, I say a teaser. I haven't actually had time to bloody edit the teaser, but we have another Chelsea special podcast coming up. We've now released. Uh, we've released Bobby Tambling and Ron Joppa Harris. Uh, they're delighted to have been thusly liberated, and uh, we now have Kerry Dixon coming up. But I'll tell you all about that later on. Now, in part three, uh, we read out this week's emails, of which there are many, 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 and in part four. We doff our hat to this week's winners in our Who Knows Wins Chelsea Fancast Match Predictions League, which sadly do not include me this week. But I'm delighted to say all the winners, I think, this week were Chelsea fans, which is great. Anyway, uh, we'll then have a quick look back to the rather frustrating defeat to Man United in the Caribou Cup last week and a quick look ahead to this Tuesday, tomorrow night's Champions League tie against Ajax, 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 depending on how you like to pronounce them. Anyway, uh, as ever, do not forget you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7pm by going to mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea-Fancast where you can join in the chat, post on the live chat page, amuse yourself, alert us to stupid stuff that we're saying. It doesn't matter. It, it, you can do what you like, really. There's loads of people in there already. Anyway, who have we got? We've got John Marshall, Happy Bird, Katie Hailstone, the lovely Katie's in the house. Aussie signed my broken leg, Mr. Kafifi himself. Uh, Monyaki, uh, Ma- Monyaki, massive congrats to you uh, and your your nation on uh, beating England in the Rugby World Cup final, which was very disappointing, but you played a blinder, mate. Drink vodka, Freddie's in the house. Benny the Blue. Benny, before we get rolling tonight, I'm going to say very sorry last week for biting your head off. I can't even remember what I bit it off for now. But I apologise. I listened to the podcast back and I thought, hmm, I think I got it wrong. So there we go. At least I can man up and apologise. So anyway, um, other than all of that, you can always tweet us at Chelsea Fancast. Um, and while you're doing that, you can follow us on Instagram because uh, the wonderful Dame Whittle is uh, he's manning the Instagram engine and he's doing stuff. So there we go. Check it out. It's all really good stuff. Now, after this very short break, uh, we will be talking about the Watford Chelsea game. So, um, yeah, I, the first thing I want to talk about, really, is just to highlight something that, that I've been noticing for the last few weeks. Actually, I'm really glad we got to Joe with us tonight as well, Jonathan, because no doubt he'll have uh, some very wise words to say about this. But I, I think the, the Jorginho-Kovacic pairing in midfield is just working just brilliantly. I mean, I, I look at it and I think, Jesus, I think we've got the best midfield in the league. And, and, and I mean, considering how, you know, pants we all thought they were last year... It's just absolutely delightful to see. I'm just a kind of, I mean, just yesterday was a classic example, talking about Jorginho first, pulling all the strings, providing a defensive shield, sublime passes forward, not least for that, you know, pass for Tammy, which was just, I mean, Jonathan, it was like sex. It was wonderful. Well, I wouldn't go that far. but well, yeah, I would, yeah. I would. Was, I was okay. moist, mate, I tell you. I'm glad you weren't standing next to me because I was at the game. You and, were. Uh, and uh, I'd rather not have been... Um, 
uh, what can I say, hugged, embraced by you at the time in a in a, in a, man, in a manly way would have been would have been pleasant. Yeah, it was um, it was quite phenomenal. We we were terrific for the first ten or fifteen minutes, and we've talked about this before, haven't we? About we create so many so many chances because it's just so swift and. Um, I don't know. There's a there's a, an ability to look for for good passes, which you know, Georgina, that that was just quite a sublime pass, wasn't it? And all he needed to do was just to lift it over the fostering goal, who had a terrific game and um, and did an enormous amount to stop them from being four nil down after about you know 15 minutes. Um, but it's that thing which slightly I think we're doing at the moment is uh, of of just running out of energy a bit and letting the opposition back into the game a bit. But, but for that beginning period, particularly with Jorginho, he is, um, uh, he's quite, uh, we're seeing his class, aren't we? We're seeing the player that um, Guardiola wanted. Yeah. Uh, because we couldn't, we, we couldn't get it. We couldn't see it last year because he no. was in the straight jacket, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm annoyed by the chant having been there. I mean, I've subjected fantastically to, as I was saying to you both before the, we started um, standing uh, to the left hand side um, near the goal. And uh, um, there were four guys behind me who just sang for 90 minutes. I completely take my hat off to them. I think I have to say, I think they were completely on drugs. I don't think you can maintain that standard and, and energy and uh maybe and they're just young mate they, hang on a second you're absolutely right Chuch. perhaps it's that yeah perhaps <laughs> i'm just an old git. yeah yeah i haven't thought about that but and as i was saying to you I, I actually congratulated them at the end of the 90 minutes i've said really fantastically done and they looked at me like so clearly nobody has ever before said well sung it's, it's not the kind of thing you say is it at a chelsea game if you go away because everybody sings but i was just so impressed and for a second i said no really i really mean it really fantastic the energy and they then they then got farther far too effusive and far too far too huggy with me oh thanks mate oh mate mate thank you oh wow wow you know in a way that i rather you know, i felt I rather, but i felt a bit like an old bloke you know saying oh. well done well done <clears throat> But um, uh, and of course, there's the uh, the, the Jorginho song that was sung an enormous amount, which in comparison with last year is just so ridiculous, yeah. isn't it? it it's love. It's lovely to see. It. I mean, you know, I don't like to see any players getting a, a a bit of a hard time, which you know clearly he did last year, and I and I always felt he was kind of un, well, you know, unfairly or whatever. I don't know. I mean, he was definitely scapegoated for uh, for Sarri. But I think the other thing is, uh, and what's also really really lovely. Uh, Joe is that it, it's Kovacic who who wasn't being scapegoated, uh, you know, for Sari, but we just thought was rubbish because he he never really <laughs> he never really looked he just didn't look really he just looked out of his depth I think last year, but he has been a revelation. I mean, you know what I'm kind of saying, Joe, really is I kind of knew that Jorginho was a good player. He was a good player, but it just wasn't working in the system. I I think, but. Uh, Kovacic looked rubbish, but he has been brilliant this year, and and they're linking up so. I mean, breaking up the play, cleaning. He, he's the cleaner. He cleans everything up, and then he breaks forward. I mean, what happens when he scores a goal? The whole place is going to go mental. <laughs> I think. I mean, this. I don't want to sort of bore people with tactics and stuff like that, but I think this really, in terms of Jorginho and Kovacic, highlights kind of both sort of systems and and, and player roles and responsibilities and how really. You know, you, you can get more out of players if you play them in, in a slightly different style. And I think particularly with, with Jorginho and, and Kovacic, I've, I've kind of mentioned a few times on, on this podcast, I think a few others as well, that, that Sarri's kind of Italian style of, of play was very rigid and kind of limited the options of the players. I think now that you've 
you've kind of got this sort of Lampard, you know, Morris, Joe Edwards kind of style of football that's that's being played. That is has was almost kind of taking a filter off of both players. And what you're seeing now is 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 a a side that is entrusting two incredibly intelligent footballers to actually just get on with the game. And I think particularly Kovacic, I mean, people know that Jorginho is more of kind of a, a screen player, but I think now Kovacic is kind of playing this sort of controlling role in midfield. You know, there's not this requirement on him in this sort of left central midfield role to to be creative and score goals and, and, and be sort of this attacking fulcrum. It's more about kind of dictating the, the game, making sure that, uh, you know, the, the, the whole flow of the match kind of really kind of is conducted by, by him and, and, and Jorginho. I think that the, the, the change in position, playing more, you know, playing deeper um, has been incredible. And I think the other thing as well is, is we've, we've almost kind of got the uh, kind of two of the, I would say probably the most ideal, ideal midfielders to play in those deeper roles in the Premier League now, because dear enough, every single team presses intensely now in midfield. They, they mark man to man. You know, they don't drop off, you know, they actually push players and, and, and look to get to midfielders really tight and, and put them under pressure. And and for me personally, I mean, I, I talk about this a little bit in the Manchester United game, but when you put Jorginho and Kovacic under pressure, I think that's when they play better. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of weird in the sense, particularly Kovacic, his ability to, to roll players, drop his shoulders, kind of uh, move sort of in and out and, and do these incredible sort of little dribbling runs and burst, burst through midfield. And the same as Jorginho as well, his ability to play the ball around the corner, his ability to play under pressure, to, to not lose the ball, to retain possession in midfield. You know, the, the more teams press them, the better they play. And I think actually now what, what we've got with them in front of the back four is, is a slightly better midfield midfield, uh, midfield shield. I'm not going to say it's, it's absolutely perfect, but it's a lot better than what it has been this season and also last season. But now we've got two players who truly, truly can dictate the game and then actually mm. let the players ahead of them. You know, so of course, if they... The attacking. If they press and uh, uh, they wriggle out of it, which they do regularly, it means that the the, the opposition is far further forward. So you've exactly. got more opportunities to yep. uh, to then exploit um, the the space that you've suddenly got. Because there yep. was a wonderful run that Kovacic did yesterday. It was it was shown on Twitter over and over, um, where he just um, he did exactly that. He was under pressure and he he's just scorched through two tackles, and that, lo and behold, the whole game, the whole the whole centre of, of, of the field opened up and he was then just yep. running and then he played it off and, you just, and it, it set up a, uh, an attack that we almost scored from. And you just it's, think, well, this is exactly what's, what's required, isn't it, really? Yeah, just I mean, one, one other thing about him is his song is now Kovacic in the middle of the pitch, which everybody <laughs> is enjoying immensely. So I was pleased that I think it used to be Ivanovic's song, didn't it? But Matic, um, Matic. Matic sorry, Matic's yeah. song. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, they're all they're all using that one now, which is it's a shame slightly because it must have been nice if he had a kind of original song. And weirdly, there's another song. There's a Jorginho song rather than Jorginho, which is a bit lacking in effort. There's another Jorginho song that I couldn't make out that was suddenly sung slightly half-heartedly, and I thought, well, I approve of that because it's a bit different, you know, rather than the the old. The old one that we've had before that was, you know, that was was uh, was Conte um, uh, with Antonio. So I, I'm I'm hoping this other one catches on, but it, I didn't quite catch it. Sorry, I'm obsessed with songs, having had them drilled into my. Well, there you go. Thank earphone. you, thank you, Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Joe, what were you going to say? No, I mean, I was just going to say that in in the game now, particularly like modern midfielders, everything is about passing and moving and creating yeah. passing lanes and triangles. When all of a sudden you've got a guy, particularly someone like Kovacic, and I think this this kind of applies to how Loftus-Cheek had success last season, all of a sudden if you've got someone in midfield who can dribble through the middle of the pitch, 
it completely changes how teams have been you know, looking to defend for probably the past two, three, maybe four seasons. You know, it's more about trying to block passing lanes. You're trying to get tight to stop them from playing around the corner or playing a simple pass. Now, if you're that tight, and I think as, as Jonathan alluded to, if, if Kovacic spins you, he's running into 10, 15, 20 metres of space. All of a sudden, you've, your forwards have got more space to move into. You know, they can they can start their runs. They, they can they can come short. They can go long. The options are there. And I think it's it's such an interesting problem to have because in, particularly in, in Kovacic and hopefully if, when Loftus-Cheek comes back, we've got two midfielders now who can really carry the ball through midfield, which I don't think a lot of teams have. It'll be interesting to see if they ever play together, just how that affects teams and how they defend. Well, I think that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, one of the things that I'm loving most, I mean, you know, both of them really, but I think particularly in Kovacic is that exactly that, when he, he wins the ball and then he runs into space, but it's his distribution that's so wonderful. That's what yeah. I'm also seeing. You know, playing balls into space for the likes of either Pulisic or Hudson Odoi or Tammy Abraham yeah. or Mount to run onto. It's just, it's just delightful. Anyway, you bring up a very interesting point there. Well, first of all, actually, of course, Jorginho, who who is, I I think again, you know, we we always knew what a good passer of the ball he was. His tackling's definitely improved, and I, and I like the way that he's becoming a really good defensive shield, actually. And I love the way that, you know, when... To, and, I, and I love this, too. Tamori or Zuma, they love a bit of a forage up front, and he immediately drops back and, and, and goes into central defence. It's all working so well. However, he got booked, and uh, he now I misses... He I thought he got booked deliberately, though. Well, I was... wonder if he did, JK, because, of yeah. course, it means that he won't be booked next Saturday and therefore miss the City game. Exactly. Or even, yeah, that was exactly it. Yeah, so he'd be available for that. I felt it was it was pretty cynical hanging about for ages to take the free kick. I mean, that was exactly, he was only going to get booked. He, nothing else would happen, you know. <laughs> Classic Sergio Ramos tactic. But he's yeah. gonna he's gonna be missed against Palace. There's no doubt about that. But by by all accounts, well, well, well. Apparently, Kante uh, was back in training today, right. uh, so he may well fill in. Obviously, and of course, Barkley apparently was also back in training today, so he may well be fit. But here's here's the question. I, I had a, a, a kind of an on air stroke off air chat with the the lovely Dave Seeger, who I do uh, the Love Sports Show uh, with on Sunday, and I was talking about all of this, and I was saying, well, you know. There's at the moment in the midfield we've we uh, the, well we we've tended to have been playing Jorginho and Kovacic and Mount with you know any two of Pulisic, William, uh, Pedro and Hudson Odoi, you know going wide, uh, and that's fine and that works well and it's great because Mount of course is our player to kind of always be going forward from the midfield breaking the lines as Frank likes to call it and that works great and of course before all that Kante. Was, was playing sometimes with Jorginho and Kovacic and Mount was having to play wide, which meant that one of Pulisic, William, Pedro or Hudson-Odoi, of course he wasn't fit then, weren't getting a game. So I'm really curious as to know what might happen because frankly, the way that they're playing at the moment, Jorginho and Kovacic have got such a great partnership. For me, they are undroppable at the moment and yet you cannot not have Kante you know, on you can't have Kante not playing. He has to come in too. So, Joe, where do you think it will go? I mean, do you think he'll go Jorginho, Kovacic, Kante? Is that our best midfield and Mount goes further forward or what? It's, yeah, I mean, it's it, tough, I isn't it? The, the one underlying thing from this is that I think this is the first time in actually maybe a couple of seasons now that we, we actually have genuine competition in the team. And I think actually a lot of the reason we've been on this sort of successful run and, and you know, particularly with... You know, you've had sort of, I think, Williams been playing some of his best football this yeah. season. I think Aspilicueta's yeah. picked yeah. himself yeah. up. Um, the fact that there is now genuine competition for places, 
I think that has actually elevated the, the rest of the team. But I mean, personally, and, and, and again, this is not being negative about Jorginho and Kovic, which is just trying to be measured. I think when we play really top teams, I'm talking about the Liverpools and the cities, I think Kante starts. Because what I've seen, particularly over the last year and, and some of this season as well, we get a little bit overrun at times by your Hendersons and your you know one Aldams and these more athletic players. That's why I'd, put, I'd maybe put Kante in midfield. However, with whom think, though, Joe? That's that's the killer question because I, I you know I don't think at the moment you can really drop Kovacic. I mean he he I think Jorginho and Kante for me are the defaults when we play, when we play really really top sides. But at the moment, Kovacic is actually probably playing better in those in those you know kind of the the tougher opposition we play. But uh, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, you, you play them as a three, and then you, you potentially drop Mount and all that Mount offers, um, particularly sort of his his defensive work in the final third and his off the ball work. I think is we saw maybe against uh, United how much that was missed. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. He's not bleeding. So, but I mean, you know, it, what, what a wonderful problem to have for a change instead of just saying, okay, you've got eleven players that will start every week. Or, or, or where's Danny Drinkwater? Exactly. Yeah, um, I, I don't have the answer. I mean, but I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think it very much will depend on the the opponent that we play, uh, and also just just how much we need to have a bit more of a, let's say, a more box to box energetic presence in midfield versus two maybe more screening players. Um, but that is, as I said, I mean, it, it's a fantastic problem to have given the the lack of uh, real competition we've seen maybe over the past two three seasons. Well, I agree entirely, I, I, and I, I think it, it begs so many other questions because. You know, I, I think, I mean, in spite of what John Paul Guevara says, I, I think, you know, as you were saying, actually, against Man United, we really missed Mount because what Mount brings is this, you know, he's you know he's always running into space. He's pressing a lot. I mean, he does so much work off the ball, which is, fa- you know, fundamentally important to the way that Frank wants to play. And yet, of course, we've also seen that Frank's very keen on having two really good wide players, whether it be William and Pulisic or William and Hudson-Odoi or whatever. Uh, he likes to do that. So even if you change formation, maybe you had four in midfield, you know, then you lose the wingers essentially. So, you know, it's a real conundrum. It's going to be fascinating to see what he does. But as you said, what a lovely position to be in, Jonathan. Oh, it's, uh, it's quite joyous. As you, as, um, as uh, Joe was saying, um, they've all, they've all, William has come up tremendously to, to play within this system. But, um, and I, I, and so is Dave and I, I'm, I'm embarrassed that we were, you know, we were all fighting yeah. off at the beginning of the season because, um, uh, he's really been phenomenal. And it was interesting that he played Emerson. Are we going to get onto that a bit later? But, um, do you know what I have? I didn't. So do him now. Well, I was intrigued that cause, um, Marcus didn't play well against United. And, tired, I think. And, uh, and yeah, and you wonder whether uh, an Emerson Emerson is is steadier, isn't he? Just doesn't get into the box as much. It was it's really evident that he he doesn't get as far forward. And I was trying to work out what the pattern was for for why that was always the case. Was it that he he took it upon himself, or was he allowed to because people then covered for him? But Emerson is a much seems to be much more traditional to me, and and is a, consequently he's a better defender because he's in those positions already. Um, but um, uh, yeah, Dave was. Uh, He's just come right up to to you know as he was before. They're all they're all flourishing in this system. Um, other than I have to say, which we'll get onto it, Pedro, who to me um, may be on his last legs. But each time I say this, uh, um, you know, they, they then come back in a game and then excel. But um, but uh, let's see, let's see what happens. Not I mean, against Man United, he did. No, indeed, indeed, no, he <coughs> was absolutely appalling. Um, but you know, we as as you say, Chid, we we as you said in your intro, we've got to ultimately discuss the fact that um, 
uh, for a period, we let them back in the game. Well, do you know what, JK? Yeah, yeah. We're going to do that right now. We are. In fact, uh, well, no, as he says, I mean, you know, we're going to discuss the fact that it was a great performance overall, which we kind of have already, and particularly a result. I mean, seven away wins on the trot is marvellous, uh, but there are still improvements to be made, and we will discuss that. Uh, we'll also have a quick chat, my usual parish notices, and uh, a little chat about the next Chelsea special podcast, which you need to all be downloading. You know, you'll be very naughty people, and you'll all be in the sin bin if you don't, because I tell you what, you're missing out if you're not. They're really unbelievably good. Anyway, we'll be back in a second. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And tonight we have, as ever, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Whoop, whoop. And uh, we have the wonderful erudite Mr. And I almost tempted to say, Joe, the ubiquitous Joe Tweeds. <laughs> I am the Michael Essien of Chelsea podcast these days. <laughs> you are, mate. You are. But that's because you're very, very good. You're very, very good. Tell me about the... Who was it I saw Saw you? Uh, was it the, the Touchline Fracar? What are they all about then? Yeah, the che- so, the Chessy uh, Hour. What's that all yeah, about? These are a couple of my, my mates. They do a, a kind of a... a, a let's say the, the main podcast is more about... Uh, most of the Premier League teams, so Chelsea, Liverpool, United, Arsenal, etc. And, and it's kind of got a little bit more of a kind of lad, not laddie, but sort of more of a, a kind of matey feel about it. A um, bit more of a conversation. And they asked me over the summer if I'd uh, if I joined the, the the Chelsea specific one. And it, it, the Chessie Hour, as it's uh, officially dubbed, it comes from, uh, I don't know if you remember that, that weird uh, transfer announcement of Rudiger where he was kind of locked in the cupboard and then he came <laughs> yes. out and, and he sort of came up to the camera and was like, yeah, I play for Chessie now, not Chelsea, it's Chessie. So uh, yeah, the Chessie yeah, Owl was yeah. born from, from Rudiger. But yeah, as I said, it's a weekly pod that I'm on with uh, with a couple of friends and normally lasts about an hour and it's normally quite quite good fun on there as well. So there we uh, go. Yeah, always, always good listen. I, I might even check it out. Uh, but I mean, I, my caveat, as you all know, is I don't even listen to this one. So, you know, it's quite a big ask for me, but I'll do my best. All right. OK, while we're at it, uh, we'll have a plug for us too. Uh, make sure you check out the ChelseaFanCast.com website. It's fab. There you go. That's all I need to say, really. Uh, right. OK, another top performance. I mean, I thought it was actually an all-round good performance, but there were issues. I mean, let's let's talk about the good stuff first. Uh, what I was really, really, really impressed with was the very crisp passing I and mean, the ball retention, which was just mesmerising at times. But I, I also thought that they had fantastic... I mean, unlike the United game, where they looked half asleep for the first half, this time, great energy, quick passing, lots of pressing. And the other thing, a bit like, you know, against Burnley, you know, we looked like uh, we could score every time we attacked, scored two lovely goals as well. But we only scored two. And I think the reason for that were, I mean, William, I thought, was particularly wasteful. We did waste a lot of uh, good attacks and good positions. But I also thought, uh, you know, Foster had a terrific game. I mean, he kept Watford in it, without a doubt. And I did think that, I mean, there weren't any kind of glaring defensive idiocy like we often see. But it did look a bit hairy sometimes, Joe. So that would be my overall analysis of the good and the bad. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's pretty fair, and again, I think 
I'd say that the only thing that would stop me going completely all in on the Jorginho Kovic, on the Jorginho, I can't even say the names of it, Jorginho and Kovacic thing, that last 10 minutes and, and the, the bit of play that led to the penalty. I know we're going to talk about it in a second, but sometimes it, it is okay just to launch the ball, yeah. you know, 300 metres down the pitch and just sort of get up and get organised and stuff like that. But, you know, I, the defence being hairy at times, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree on that. I think... Uh, there's still a little bit in terms of how we defend transitions. I mean, it is, it's so much improved from what we saw against Manchester United and some of the earlier stuff in the season where teams were getting at us almost by just playing one pass around the corner. I think that's the benefit of having the two there rather than just uh, just Jorginho. So I think that's improved. I mean, I would say as well, I think Zuma and Tomori are playing absolutely superbly at the moment, particularly Zuma, who I think maybe oh. still gets a little bit of unfair slack because he's not the most aesthetically pleasing player on the ball. But I think last five, six, seven games... You know, he's been he's been as you know as sort of intrinsic as as any person really in, in how well we yeah, played. Played well, better and better, hasn't he, Joe? Really, really. Yeah, but it, we just we just look we look like a team that has a clue of where it wants to go. And I think you know from what you know from from what we were being told about Sari last season and what we were watching, often the you know the kind of the stuff you're seeing with your eyes wasn't matching up to the kind of you know the sort of really hyperbolic description of this sort of wonderful passing style that we were seeing. And I think now everyone can kind of see you know we want to play aggressive we want to play the ball quickly we want to pass and move you know we want to use wingers we want to get the ball into the into the box you know we want to play we want to play three balls we want to get the ball to tammy it, it seems and i feel you know football shouldn't be so complicated that only pep guardiola and five of his mates understand what's going on it should be people can see it and understand what you're trying to do how you're trying to achieve it and i think that that really for me is, is the big positive of the season is that we look like we have a plan um, joe do you think that um that playing under Sarri has actually given them um, an element of, of cohesion that they've managed to apply this season. Um, in that he was so uh, he was so keen on everybody passing the ball really quickly in certain triangles. Do you think they could have brought some of that over into this setup uh, under Frank? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, because there's they've been practicing yeah. that so much. You just wonder whether, in fact, that it's. Frank's asked them to do it and it's been a bit easier for them because it, at times it, it looks miraculous that they managed to get the ball out of situations so calmly. And it's the kind of thing that I think Sarri wanted them to do and, uh, and they failed to do. Um, and uh, this whole process of looking as if we could score every time we attack is, uh, um, is quite remarkable and yet uh, um, is, 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 is created by this brilliant passing. Um, I just I'm, I'm I'm not looking to give Sarri a, um, a kind of yeah. plus here, but the risk the whole of last season was the whole of last season surely couldn't have been wasted because he was so intent on this unbelievably crisp passing and everybody being available for passes. You just wonder whether, you know, some of them actually have thought, well, this is a bit easier, but we're still able to apply what we were doing all season under um, uh, uh, un, under Sarri. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think uh, there's definitely a sort of foundation there that's been built upon. But equally, I think, you know, you're adding in three Chelsea Academy players in, into almost the spine yeah. of the side now yeah. in terms of Mount yeah. and, and Tamori and, and, and uh, Tammy up front. And, and they've been playing this way since they were eight, nine, ten years old. You know, this this style of football we're seeing is probably more akin to what you would associate with the with the Chelsea Academy, particularly under Morrison Edwards than maybe with, with Sari. And I think it's something that Lampard is obviously leaning on. But... Definitely, you know, foundations in terms of the comfort on the ball of, of centre-backs and Jorginho's kind of game and maybe Kovacic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's uh, it's something that, that we benefited from. But, but obviously that has now been built upon and, and we're seeing a bit more of a clearer and maybe less restricted style of play as well. Interesting stuff. Uh, I, uh, yeah, very interesting. I mean, look, the reality is, JK, and I, and I, I mean, you know... I, 
I might I might not have liked it, it him whatever last year, but I mean you know I, I do believe in being meticulously fair, and and I can't see how, um, you know, there shouldn't be some hangover. There well, should, I mean you know they will they the players will have learned some good stuff from him. You know you, you when you get uh you know um, introduced to different ideas, different ways of playing. That's that's surely got to be got to be beneficial. Now look, let's talk about this flaming penalty because I, I i mean the weird thing was i i kind of uh watched the first uh up the first 60 minutes and then then i had this, this is not going to be very proper chelsea people so i apologize now and uh if you want to drum me out of proper chelsea class then uh by all means do so but uh, i was dragged off to a uh a dinner and fireworks party uh on saturday oh, i know by my wife so i missed the last half an hour but i did come back and obviously watch it because i obviously recorded it so I, I didn't. I, and I, so basically, I left, and everything was fantastic, and we should have been four or five nil up. And I came back, and it all all, all looked a bit different. But Joe's right; there was a build-up, wasn't there, um, before that penalty? And and I think Jorginho got caught in possession. But I've got to say, mate, I mean, I I could see that um, you know that, that that Jorginho did, you know, his shin connected with Delafeo's shin. But the fact that Delafeo then went down in instalments and actually only went down when he realised the ball was going out of play and he wouldn't be able to score. I mean, that I cannot see how that should have been a penalty. I really can't. But the worst thing of all, Jonathan, and let's here we go. It's we've been actually we've done quite well. Thirty minutes in, and we haven't mentioned VAR yet. But how in God's name can that be construed? As a clear and obvious <laughs> error, Mike Dean is clearly a prick. That's the only thing that I can say is clear and obvious. Unbelievable, just, mate. They're all pricks. Let's be honest. Did you see the farce of Atkinson yesterday? Yeah. Oh god, I it was mean, awful, wasn't it? They're all wondering. They don't know what to do. They don't. Know. Apparently, Frank was saying they'd been super. Frank was saying there'd been a a meeting where they were trying to clear up what exactly was clear and obvious and they went immediately straight against it and they they don't know what to do they none of them consult the bloody screen by the pitch it's about where i've 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 chunted on about this every week it's a farce the whole thing is ludicrous um you know i you know I'll, i will keep saying this i think the idea of var is a good one because and it's also it's pushed so much towards people watching on television but when you're in the ground and you're just standing there not knowing what is going on at all it's almost as if the longer it goes on you manage to work out the more likely they're going to you know, give a penalty or disallow the goal whatever it is it'll be something that is contentious because it just seems to me they don't it, 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 they either make a decision quick, they won't make a quick decision because they don't want to be seen supposedly to making an error, whatever that is. But in this instance, yes, he went down in instalments. Of course he did. And it was a little touch. And yet they're all they're all concentrating on the touch as they as they did with the doy the week before. And of course, what they missed was a doy being pushed in the back. And so I, it's just becoming uh, becoming farcical. They've got to have communication. They've got to have evidence of what's going on at Stockley Park. And they've got to replace all these people, all these dreadful, I'm making, I'm slapping you on the back and making sure you don't look an idiot refs. They've got to get a whole new bunch in. And what's happening is, as I keep saying this, it makes the whole, um, the whole setup, the team, ludicrous because the, the linesmen are so scared of making decisions. The bloke to our left, the linesman, would not make a decision unless he'd looked at the referee all through the game. So we had this absurd thing of him not raising his flag at all for anything, for throws, always looking at, at, uh, 
at, at the ref at Tierney, whatever his name was, to before he made a decision. They are so scared. They're so scared of being seen to be useless. Whereas in actual fact, we know they're all useless and they're not up with the game enough. They don't get on top of the game. They're all sp- So how can he possibly have anything to do with a linesman when the linesman is scared to make a decision? And he should be helping him as they do in the rugby. I'll keep going back to the rugby. They're all on the same footing. The TMO speaks to them. Even Frank, I think, mentioned the fact that there wasn't, was it, um, it wasn't Frank, it was uh, Keogh on Match of the Day said they've got to take a leaf out of the rugby. Yes, they have. They've got to stop treating us. As if and you, you hear not, what they say. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan, yeah. Jonathan, exactly. you, you'll, exactly. be, you'll, be, you'll be proud of me because when I went to the uh, Premier League, uh, you know, basically there's a meeting, all the, all the chairman of the trusts meet with the, the Premier, you know, it used to be Scudamore in old money, but he wasn't there at the time. But we met with the top people at the Premier League and VAR was discussed. And I said that. I said, look, this is absolutely criminal that, you know, the people that are paying their money to go and be in the bloody ground are the last people to know what's going on. I said, look, in the rugby, the refs and everybody are mic'd up. The TMO's mic'd up. You know what's going on. You know what the thought process is. Why can't you do it? Why do we have to be treated like fucking children as uh, always? You know, anyway, enough of me ranting. The fact of the matter is, though, Joe, how on earth, how on earth could that penalty be given on the basis that it was a clear and obvious error? It clearly was not a clear and obvious error. Because it wasn't clear and obvious. <laughs> Anything that takes over three minutes to decide with every angle and yeah. every single possible replay speed and whatever isn't clear and obvious. I think maybe my, my overriding sentiment on VAR has been that this is the only thing that has ever happened in football that has garnered some sympathy for me when I've watched Tottenham or Liverpool get a decision go against them. Yeah. And I think that when I, when I look at them and see, you know, half a centimetre of someone's knee offside or you yeah. know, someone's well, you know, hair follicle, it's, it's just ludicrous. Wasn't it his armpit was yes. offside or something? Yeah, and, and, you, and when you're yeah, looking at thinking, ah, oh, you know, maybe Tottenham have been a bit hard done by it. In my head, well, I'm that, thinking, that, that okay, penalty, maybe it's a great uh, thing. The Deli Alley handball. I mean, yeah. how on earth oh, was, yeah. was oh, that, he spent three and a half minutes or three minutes looking at that? And it, I mean, I mean, it's okay. It's a shame, you know. You could say it was uh, ball to hand, but in 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 the rules as they are at the moment, how can you not say? that that was clearly and obviously a handball. It just beggars belief. I'm yeah. so glad Everton got a goal back for that, not 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 just for the poor old Gomez, which was awful, but it's yeah. just a farce, mate. It's, the sooner they long this off, the better. Anyway. There's no consistency, though, Chidge. I mean, the, the thing that nobody knows about is, OK, how many... How many phases back do you go and check something before? Yeah. You no, know, before a goal. I mean, are we checking that Mark Steen was offside in 1993? I mean, I mean, it just seems absurd that how far far they go back never seems consistent. And also, as you're saying, I mean, if we're talking about letter of the law decisions, then any time the ball hits someone's hand in a penalty, if you look at it on an instant replay, you're you're going to give a penalty. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's no context and, in the decision. Yeah. That doesn't seem to be. Nobody seems to realise that there are still the same referees who get all the mistakes during doing the actual refereeing, looking at the video monitor and still making the same mistakes. Indeed, yes. indeed, indeed. Yes. It's oh, crazy. Well. Enough, because otherwise my, 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 I will explode. <laughs> I will explode like the fireworks that I can hear all around me exploding as we speak. Um, okay, so that made it 2-1, which it absolutely didn't need to be. I mean, you could argue that we kind of, uh, you know, made a rod for our own back, really, by the way that we played towards the end of the match. And, of course, not scoring more goals, which we clearly should have done. Um and then we have the uh, the farce in the last minute with uh, Ben Foster, who I, I, I as I said, I think he had an absolutely tremendous game. I mean, he 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 he's, he certainly saved at least three certain goals, I think. And then he comes up and almost scores with a header. <laughs> uh, but then again, you know, Kepper, who I think this is Kepper's an interesting 
uh, topic for debate, I think, because I do get the feeling he gets a bit of a hard rap occasionally. But I tell you what, he doesn't have come up with some match-saving saves in nearly every match. And, you know, that was crucial because, I mean, if, if, if that had been 2-2, JK, that would have been so undeserved. It would have been a travesty of justice, I think, if that had been 2-2. But we knew you could see we'd have then been blaming. This would be a different... Uh, different fan cuts, wouldn't it? We'd be blaming the team in some way for, for having let it slip. But, um, yeah, it was a completely brilliant, brilliant, um, brilliant save. And what I loved was the fact that then Foster and Kepper embraced, which I thought was uh, was like the, the referees, the referees, the goalkeepers club. But nonetheless, it was um, it was a great sporting, Good header. great sporting moment. Yeah, it was a fabulous. Yeah. But he yeah. was really on the case there, wasn't he, Kepper? Because, oh, bloody hell. But it was that kind of thing you just thought, oh, God, this is this has been such a weird, weird game and we've been completely on top of it. And yet somehow there's the possibility we might draw mm. in the last minute. So, oh, God. Well, you know what? We didn't. And I'm glad we didn't. And uh, I didn't know. It was a, well, that, well, I forgot completely. But that seven away, as rec- well, I think it's a seven away win. So I could be wrong. Or seven wins. In a- yeah. It must be seven away wins in a row. Here we yes. go. I've got a lovely stat here, which uh, I've, well, I've got the stat and then some bright spark whose name I, I forget now. Um, I think it might be, I can't remember what his name is on Twitter, but I nicked it from Twitter. But Jonathan will remember this better than me. Uh, but anyway, Lampard's only the second manager in Chelsea's history to win seven consecutive away games in all competitions after the wonderful, lovely Bobby, the much, uh, you know, maligned, I think, Bobby Campbell, who was a lovely chap and a bloody great manager for us. Uh, actually, a quick uh, tangent here, because obviously I've just edited the, the next Chelsea special with Kerry. Dixon on it and Kerry talked about uh Bobby Campbell and that 88-89 season when we went up uh, as champions with a record number of points from the second division um and he said that uh Bobby Campbell was it was a fascinating thing because obviously we got relegated through the playoff the year before and I think that was still John Hollins and early Ernie Wally and he said, he said, you know, you just have to look at what we did the next year. He said, we had the same players apart from two additions, which was uh, Graham Roberts and, um, oh, I forget the other one, uh, Rosie. Was it Rhodes Brown? I think it was Rhodes Brown. Those are the only two players we got. So basically it was the same team that got relegated and then we went straight back up with record points. He said, yeah, we were a bloody good team. It wasn't so, him, Gidge. It wasn't him. It wasn't Rosie. Who no. am I thinking of? Who no. am I thinking of? can't remember. I can't yeah. remember either, but anyway. Roberts, Roberts was uh, a rock. It was a joy watching him play, actually. Yeah. Really Bottom was. line is, Bobby Campbell, what he did was he, he was like a, a really smooth, calming influence on everybody. He, he was saying that, you know, he was giving people who needed a hug a hug and, and giving people a bollocking who needed a bollocking. It was really fat. I mean, you know, I know I'm going to keep plugging this, but you need it, it's the best interview I've done with Kerry. He was so interesting about so many things and one of them was that anyway i digress uh, under bobby campbell between february and april 1989 walsall plymouth brighton man city sunderland ipswich and west brom that's that those were the seven matches we won do you remember any of those jk uh probably <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah i remember but if uh, you know if if if, if jogged i remember something i just remember roberts just getting lots of penalties and yeah not missing any of them. I mean, and quite, you know, there was a, there was a, 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 a confidence about his, his play that seemed to be very infectious. He was a very good signing indeed. He mm. was uh, good leader, really t- top banana, but unfortunately his affection was for Tottenham. Cause I think he's a, 
he's uh, an ambassador for them. He is um, indeed, but he was very good for us. Shouldn't be uh, Kevin McAllister very, and Kevin McAllister's moustache is something I remember very, uh, very vividly from that season. Uh, I don't mean that, do I? I'm having a brain fart here. <laughs> you know what? Kevin, I, you know Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson, I know. Fucking idiot. Uh, was a different kind of player, but was very, very. You know, he was fun. He was. He, he gave a lot of effort, McAllister. A lot of time for McAllister. Buzzed yeah. around a lot. You know, decent winger. Good. It's one of, one of my favourite seasons. That you know, because yeah. I was I was yeah. living in I was living in Lots Road, so I was five minutes down the road. Uh, and there was a real, real buzz about the place. Those are the days, if I didn't go, and I didn't go a lot, you know, I, I would go occasionally, but if I didn't go and Chelsea were playing at home, uh, you could hear Chelsea, 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 as far away as uh, North End Road, loud as anything. It was brilliant. Anyway, we digress. Um, bottom line is, uh, I've kind of called this bit a bunch of fives. Five wins out of the last five. No one else has a better record than us in the last five games in fact we're the only team in the premier league that's uh, you know they do the little bbc uh, league table the last five games well nobody else has won all five like we have uh, we are therefore the form team and the other interesting thing that i've discovered is that although we are in fourth we're obviously tied with leicester uh, on 23 points. They've got a, a far superior goal difference. You won't be surprised to hear after walloping Southampton 9-0. Um, but we are six points ahead of Arsenal, Joe, in fifth place already. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's even it's even bigger to Tottenham and, and United. So, you know, start, start of the season, I think a lot of people... Ten points, at, I think. At, Ten points yeah. above Tottenham and United. Yeah, you know, United and, and, and Tottenham and Arsenal being the main competitors for a top four finish. But... I mean, you know, if you'd have looked after the, the first game and a 4 0 loss, I think a lot of people would have been, okay, maybe we're in for a bit of a long season here. But I mean, the, the kind of turnaround then, and as you say, the last five games. But also, I think our goal difference in the last five games is we've scored 13, 14, and maybe conceded four, something like that. You know, we actually, even if we are having a little bit of a, a shaky moment in the game here and there, I think we're actually sort of kind of moving in the right direction now. And, you know, it's, it's still a lot to go in terms of the season and, and whatever. But, I mean, yeah, I'd much rather be on, on our trajectory than, than any of the other teams really around us. And, you know, I think Leicester, again, good team, but they've also got the benefit of playing once a week. You know, they, they've, they can play their, basically the full-strength team every single game now until the end of the season. So I think that they will also probably be there or thereabouts as well. Excellent I mean, we're stuff. two points behind City as well, which again is crazy to think. <laughs> well, I mean, there we go. You see, therein lies something else that's rather interesting as well. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, well, I cannot believe that we are in the position that we're in. I, I really can't, JK. It, it's just, funnily enough, I, I, I saw I saw Steve Atkins today, uh, the, you know, the comms director at Chelsea, and I was saying much the yeah. same thing. I said, I cannot, I said, well, I had no expectations of this season at all. And interestingly, I mean, he didn't say, and, I, and I'm not going to talk out of turn here, but, you know, what he was intimating in a sense was that, that, their expectations, I think, are higher as a club than than perhaps a lot of us are as supporters. But I say I had no expectations at all. But this is absolutely so, 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 so good, isn't it? Do you think that, um, in fact, they believed that it would all work pretty well because of the uh, the history of all the the youth playing with each other? Do you think that they're in fact a step ahead of us, and we're all going, no, we're okay, but they're going, no, 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 
you've got it wrong. They're all they're all play play well together. I suppose that it is a it is a, a a punt, isn't it? But from their point of view, if they're watching, you know, the youth play all the time, as as Joe is, of course, as Joe has been doing. You you is this a surprise for you, Joe, at all in the same way, or are you, um, you think on the same same level as the te- as the the powers that be at the club, who clearly have thought, well, oh, we've got some decent players. This is working well, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been I've kept my kind of smug cap on a tiny bit, you know, in terms of this because I'm I'm kind of often portrayed as sort of the the Che Guevara of the youth revolution because I, I've been I've been wanting Chelsea to do something similar to this for I don't know seven eight plus years going back to sort of the Gal Kakuta time in 2010, you know. Yes, so yes. seeing this as a for me that the, the way that they're approaching things now, and I said even if the worst case scenario is that we have five to six really really good capable squad players for the next three to four seasons the fact that we no longer now have to go out and buy those means that we can start focusing on getting some top players back into the club in terms of you know buying players back in so now i think that even for people who maybe aren't fully on board the the youth revolution maybe like myself and a few others you know the, the bottom line in terms of their takeaway should be that this actual philosophy enables the club to not have to buy your drink waters your back of yokos you know your kind yeah. of 30 40 million pound players and actually pull that together and go and get an 80 million pound striker go and get a 90 million pound midfielder actually start focusing on adding quality where they need to so bottom case you know for me that's perfect but i mean i've, I've often felt particularly this group coming through at the moment that there's been a lot of talent there and i think the, the interesting thing for chelsea fans is you know if you look now from probably our under 15s probably until our under 18s now there there are two to three players in each age group. And I won't start naming names until they've started playing in youth cups without putting pressure on them. But there are quite a few players now that I think actually have the potential, particularly under the, under this staff, to actually go on and become Chelsea players. People have already started to see guys like Tino Andrian, you know, Mark Guehe come into the side. These are guys that maybe, well, I should say maybe, they probably would never have had a, a debut for Chelsea, you know, in kind of previous managers. So seeing these guys come through, guys like Tino, there's... There's, there's loads of midfielders coming through. We've got loads of really good centre-backs. We've got some really pacey wingers, some good forwards. So, you know, I think we're in a really good position. And if, if this is the way forward for the club, you know, use the academy to, to supplement the squad. Hopefully, every now and then, you'll get a Loftus-Cheek. You might get a, a you know, a Reese James, a, a really top player come through who can challenge for a starting place. But bring 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 them through like a conveyor belt, supplement the squad. If they don't they don't make it here, you sell them in three to four seasons, you go again and you just use the money that you're saving to go out and buy your, your top players. And, you know, it should allow us to compete with the Liverpools and Cities again and, and hopefully again kick on in Europe and become that, that side at, at the top table that we all want to be. I mean, the one thing that occurs to me, and I, I mean, it, it, it's kind of been said uh, a lot, but in a slightly different context, but in, in, a, in a weird old way, um, because of the volume of the number of youth that are coming through at the same time it is a bit like the classic united class of 92 and you know from what i've seen so far i mean okay it is early days you cannot judge any player doesn't matter how old they are on 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 11 games but from what i have seen i mean the likes of mount and uh, pulisic and abraham and hudson adoy these guys could be good enough to play for us for 10 years you know, and forge a real dynasty here. And that, I think, is what's exciting. But the other thing, guys, that I, I, you know, again, I don't think should be underestimated at all. I think it's very easy to get carried away and go, oh, Chelsea is such a young side and all the rest of it. Well, it is technically, but we've still got some very, you know, experienced senior players. And I think, you know, Joe and I have both written about this extensively last season, about what the perfect balance of a side is. And it's, it is a blend of youth, homegrown players, but youth players, experienced senior players and a sprinkling of world-class players and I think if if we are 
saving a lot of money by bringing some of these youth into the team, that should give us enough money to make one or two monster signings with some real world-class talent to sprinkle on top. Discuss. Yeah, completely agree. There you go. Completely yeah, agree. Yeah, there you go. All right, enough of all of that. Uh, we'll be talking about... Um, uh, the uh, United game uh, later on in the show and uh, having a look forward to Ajax but uh, in the meantime it's time for the annual or the weekly should I say David Chigi pluggery so uh, I can tell you that it is now less than two weeks uh, before I freeze my bollocks off on the cold floor of Stamford Bridge under the East Stand for the big Stamford Bridge sleep out and uh, first of all I have to say I just I am overwhelmed um, thank you thank you thank you so much for the very kind donations that so many of you have given i'm really very touched and there's some people in here tonight uh i think benji's in i think i might have seen benji but uh i know uh andre Letizia is in uh possibly rob coomer's around too but anyway they've all been very lovely and generous and i thank you from the bottom of my heart it's a, it's a splendid splendid scheme and idea and for two super charities two homeless charities uh, which is the Glass Door, which is London's uh, kind of biggest uh, charity that looks after the homeless, and the Sir Oswald Stoll Foundation, who are our next-door neighbours, and they, they look after a lot of homeless veterans. So two wonderful, wonderful causes. Uh, as you as you know, I, I moan about it every week, but I think homelessness in, in this country in 2019 is an absolute scourge, and it shouldn't exist. So anything we can do to help with that is a very worthwhile cause if you do want to donate um very easy to do just go to uk.virginmoneygiving.com forward slash david chidgy and uh, i will endeavor over the next couple of weeks to keep tweeting and facebooking that out so that you know um but as i said i think really this week uh, as we're getting near to it is really more to say thank you for everybody who's donated you're absolutely lovely 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 people um as are, of course, our wonderful patrons. Uh, we do have a Patreon page. Everybody has a Patreon page. Now, if you don't have a Patreon page, you're just nobody, mate. That's the thing. You know, I but anyway. Shall I get one? You kind of have. By ver- you see, here's the thing, Jonathan. Every week I rack my brains and I always feel as guilty as sin that we're basically just blagging money off people for doing bugger all. Um, and we're supposed to do all these like clever things that the Ute do with their social media platforms. And we do... <laughs> piss all of nothing but i've got a feeling mate i've got a feeling that um we can do a live video on patreon how about that a live video yeah of of what well you know when you and me well apart from when i'm so hideously drunk that you have to (laughs) bin it do that live yeah i'd love to i don't think joe knows about this joe jonathan loves to do this thing a home game where I pop over and have a cup of tea with him after the game up in the posh bit and we we record a little kind of five minute video which Jonathan likes to put out as our kind of analysis of the game and I did it uh, the last home game when Clayton was uh, dining with Jonathan and I was so pissed that Jonathan couldn't put it up (laughs) (laughs) it was absolutely awful that is not surprising to me <laughs> Having sat next to you for a number of years. Yeah. Well, indeed. We well, didn't talk about the game very much. We didn't actually talk about the game. So you're not going to run a rival, Alex Goldberg? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, I don't think. I don't think Alex has got anything to fear at all from we that. We spent ages uh, discussing the fact that Chidge's phone kept falling over. So <laughs> we, we couldn't take a picture with it. We weren't actually filming anything, even though I was filming it. So what, I know. My, my I, the filming was oh, Chidge going, "Oh, look, it's fallen over again. I'll just pick I, it up." Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Over again. 
I let, I let the side down badly. Poor old Clayton, who was primed for his big moment. There we go. But I think, as, 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 as a matter of, as a matter of, hid in the corner. Clayton didn't yeah. get involved. He just oh, got didn't further, he? further and further away. Don't know if you yeah, said yeah. that. Yeah, he could see what was going down. Anyway, look, I have a feeling we can do a live video on on Patreon. So I might, I might, we might try this on Saturday uh, if you if you fancy it. I'd love to. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I'll have to figure out how to do it. And that'll. You see, there you go. And that is that's what we call like to call exclusive premier premier content. If I can, you can't even say it, premium content for our Patreon users, who I absolutely love to pieces because you're very loyal and lovely, and you contribute uh, uh, money every month, uh, which all helps to cover my not inconsiderable costs. And uh, and there you go. But I am trying to do some things for you, as you know. I've got these Kerry. Uh, quite a lot of you in fact actually not not as i mean there are more people in patreon on the chelsea Funkhouse patreon page than there are people who have asked for a mini kerry banner so if you have been a patreon uh member for a while get in touch with me if you want one of these banners because i'll get them out to you there are about 20 odd people who have so far and i, I, I emailed you all last week uh, as you have probably figured out i didn't end up seeing kerry on uh last friday before the love sports show for various reasons, but I, I hope to try and catch up with him on Saturday so I can get him to sign those banners for you then. That's my plan. So there we go. If you want to help us out, if you want to uh, sign up to be a Patreon member, it's very easy, www.patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, forward slash Chelsea Fancast. And as ever, when I get time, I will try and think of more ideas that give something back to you, the Chelsea Fancast Patreon members who I love. So there you go. One of the things you can do that we do very automatically, of course, is you can send me a message on there and I actually do respond. And, uh, of course, you can send us emails via Patreon too. Right, you've probably heard me burbling on for quite a long time already today about this wonderful thing called the Chelsea Special, which is, I mean, they're podcasts, but really what they are, they are interviews with uh, former Chelsea players. And uh, me and a lovely chap called Martin King who uh, has written Hooli Fan and Hooli Fan 2 and uh, also co-wrote the autobiography of, or the biography of Peter Osgood, uh, King of Stamford Bridge with Martin Knight. Uh, we've got together to interview lots of former great players and uh, we kind of try and release them all as podcasts or interviews, if you like, uh, on, a, on a site called chelseaspecial.podbean.com. Uh, now, we, we've spent about a £1,000 so far putting this together because we've been determined to pay these players because many of them didn't make any money from the game at all and we thought, it, you know, we have to pay them for their time and there's been all sorts of other costs as well, but that's neither here nor there. So we are charging for these. Uh, less than a less than a pint of beer, £2.99. It's not much really and they really are good, even if I do say it myself. For some reason, these players are opening up to me and Martin in a way that I just don't think they would to other people and... The latest one, the one that's going up this week, is one with Kerry Dixon. And, you know, I've done podcasts with Kerry for ages and ages and ages. thought there was everything that I needed to know about Kerry I already knew. But the reality is, uh, it, it's just absolutely gold dust, this interview with Kerry. I've never heard him talk about things quite like he has in the way that he has revealed stuff that I didn't even know. He was his usual forthright self, very funny. And it's a brilliant, brilliant interview. So... Look out for it when it comes out. We've already done Bobby Tambling, which is up, and Chopper Harris, which is another brilliant interview. That's up last week. So we're, we're building up a whole library of them. And, of course, you know, unlike this show, these things will stand the test of time. You know, they'll, they'll be there forever, and uh, they, will, they will not be diminished by the current events like this one. So uh, I do commend it to you. 
uh, and uh, follow it. Follow Chelsea Special at Chelsea underscore Special on Twitter and uh, the Chelsea Special on Facebook. And as I said, all the podcasts can be downloaded from Chelsea Special dot Podbean p o d b e a n dot com. Uh, and I think there's a main page. They just go there and you just buy the episode, and it takes you through to the the pay the paywall, and off you go. So there we go. So um, there we go. I mean, what more can I say? Go and get them, people. They're bloody good. Now, in part three, we're going to read out this week's emails. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Ginge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Football Fancast. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stamford Chidge and uh, we're in part three and that can mean only one thing. It is time for your emails, of which there are loads this week and Jonathan is going to kick it off with Porter Cunningham. Good old Porter. Chidge, JK and others. TBD, which I think means to be determined. In this instance, it's Joe. Joe Tweedy. About one year ago, I wrote my first email to you fine gentlemen. Thank you very much, Porter. One in which I openly worried about the club hiring Frank Lampard. No, as manager. All the time, I thought a poor showing might cause us to be conflicted with the love of a Chelsea, love for a Chelsea legend, our constant expectation for trophies and his and an historically fickle relationship relationship with managers let me say first this crow has never tasted better excellent the purpose of today's letter could not have better timing coming on the heels of captain america's greatest professional performance to date i write to inform you that on december the 
fourth. I will be one of 42 Americans at Stamford Bridge. 42. The largest ever group from Chelsea in America to attend a match away from the States. Prepare yourselves for an American invasion. I personally will be sticking around for Everton away and Leal at home and look forward to sharing culture, Chelsea and copious beers with you all. Thanks for all you do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Thank you. Porter Cunningham. Wow, Chidge. 42. I My know. goodness me. How where, do they do they that? Drink? Where are they going to go? Where are they going to be? We must meet wow. up with them all. We must shake That's, all of their hands. Yeah. Just think, just think how pissed I would be if I got bought forty-two beers. Oh, Chidge, unbelievable! I don't think I could. I don't think even I could do that. I mean, I, I should share you with this. Uh, that, well, actually, the day that we were talking about, where I managed to norse up your, uh, you know, um, you know, your video at the end of the game, uh, they were there. We well, it was that. That was the day that we had all sorts of people turn up in the cock, and the lovely David Williams, who of course we had that wonderful email from last week. And there was a point that Tony reminded me on last week's show where we had about twenty minutes or ten minutes to go before we had to walk up to the game. I had three full pints of Guinness on the table before me, and they all disappeared in the ten minutes before we walked to the game. So there we go. It can be done, but uh, I think forty-two would be uh, a lot even by my standards. But uh, so when's he coming over? Do you remember what game it is? December the fourth. That's got to be West Ham, hasn't it? Is that the Amers? I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not at Lille at home. I don't think because of course it's midweek, which kind of makes it difficult for me to go, and I won't be at Everton away. So it must be West Ham. Porter, we look forward to seeing you. Make sure you let us know beforehand so that we find somewhere to meet. Right, okay. Um, I've called this email of the week the next one. I have no idea whether it is or not because basically I very lazily cut and paste everything. So there you go. It may well be. We'll find out. It's from William Clayforth and he says, Hello all, uh, second time emailer to the pod and now I'm eating my words in regards to a few players. Earlier in the year I criticised a few players during our first Europa League clash with Valencia. Um... These players being Alonso and Dave. I love to see the passion and the drive for improvement from last season as Alonso, Dave, William and Kovacic all look like they've been reborn into new players under Frank Lampard. The two players who've stood out for me so far this season are Tomori and Kovacic. Tomori has looked like a world-class defender and still has room for improvement. The way he controlled Salah out of the game against Liverpool and his ability to recover lost balls like the tackle in our own penalty box against Burnley is something we've been needing for a long time. Tomori and Rudiger, once he is fit, are going to form an unbreakable wall at the heart of our defence. And Kovacic is on another level right now. The way he glides around the pitch, putting in tackles and applying pressure, he is almost at Kante's level, in my opinion. The way he's able to drive forward and dribble with the ball with such ease and finesse, I don't think there's anyone else in the Premier League that I can think of that can do what Kovacic does. I can't see us waiting much longer for him to get his first goal for us if he keeps performing at the level he has been playing at. Quick side note from me. I I, I kind of like, I'd like Kovacic to be like the reincarnation of Mikel. So therefore, I mean, I think the longer it takes for him to score a goal for Chelsea, the more endearing he becomes for me. But there you go, just a side note. Uh, now, congratulations to JK for predicting the Burnley v Chelsea score correctly, 4-2 to the Mighty Blues. Oh, sweet. I'm still, yeah, I'm still hoping to be able to make it to a game or two this season, but with me living in Leeds, it's going to be costly with travel prices. But once I get round to it, I'm sure it'll be worth it. Drinks are on me when I manage it. Actually, you know, William, drinks are also on us when you make it, just for the effort of coming down. 
down to say hello. And a final thanks for all the work and effort you guys put into the podcast. I feel closer to the club more now than I ever have done because of it. Keep up the excellent work. I, I, do you know what? I am going to give that email a week because I liked it. So there you go. Well done, William. Fantastic. Really, um, uh, we're going to say about your poor old Kovacic. I don't get why he can't shoot, you know. I still don't get it. He he um, he had a go in the uh, Watford game, didn't he? He hit a volley, but he hit it into the ground, unlike William hitting into the ground. It then ends up in the corner of the net. It just went straight into um, into Foster's hands. But uh, it just he seems to panic a little bit. He had another opportunity to shoot, and he was on his own at the edge of the penalty area. And he played a kind of sort of straight pass to Abraham, who was surrounded by three people at the time. Um, it just seems bizarre to me that somebody with such excellent skill just cannot shoot. I don't get it. You think that would be something you'd go, mm, I better practice a bit with this. I think that the longer it takes, the probably the harder it gets from would be my uh, I suppose assessment. So. Yeah. I suppose anyway. So. And I I'm worried that um uh, I think he doesn't mention, of course, that um uh, uh um, um what's our other centre half? Um um, God, I'm going. My mind's going. No, instead of Christensen, and no, 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 not Christensen. Um, um, oh, Zuma, Zuma. Yeah, sorry. He's saying that Zuma. He said Rodrigo once he's fit are going to form an unbreakable wall. Well, at the moment Zuma's playing so well. I, I don't know what's going to happen. And Rudiger has actually just had to have another operation. Rudiger has gone back to have another operation on his groin. On his groin. So at the moment we're going to be we're going to be stuck with not stuck with wrong expression. Sorry, Kurt's going to be there for some time, and he's playing really, really well. So, as you say, he looks a little bit uh, ungainly on occasions, but um, uh, he really is putting in a shift. And thank you very much indeed, William. Yes, I, I'm, well, I, I seem to be able to almost predict the scores because I just think that they're going to score three or four every time because they're so, um, they, well, they should have done against Watford because they're so, so good at, at getting into the penalty area and having shots. They've just got to, they've got to be more clinical, as you said, Chidge, early on. But good. Right. This is from Logan Bardwell. Hello, Chidge, JK and crew. In this instance, crew being Joe Tweedy. It's been a long time coming that this three-year listener, Yankee, has emailed into the show. First off, I wanted to thank you and the gang for the proper Chelsea content. Yeah, and the belly-busting banter that you bring to us over here across the pond. I like that. As a man who grew up and still resides in the city, if you can call it that, of Des Moines, Moines, Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa, we are known for our farm and friendly Iowa nice Midwestern attitudes, not our large groups of supporters for my beloved Chelsea FC. It is particularly challenging here to encourage a group of mates to go on over to the local pub at 5.30am to drink a nice Guinness and watch the Blues put on a masterclass. Tough as it may be, I always am the first one to set that alarm clock bright and early on Saturday morning. I wanted to reach out and share my experience of the first time I was able to watch our boys play. I know it is by no means the same as a kickoff at the bridge, but a few years ago, I was able to watch the Blues play at the brand new Minnesota Viking Stadium, a mere four hour drive north in Minneapolis, MN, in the International Champions Cup against AC Milan. It was one of Antonio Conte's first matches in charge. And like JK, I spared no expense and spent a gob of money on posh box seats. <laughs> Boy, was the atmosphere electric. It was a sold-out crowd of 60,000 fans. And to my surprise, a sea of blue with a couple of those red and black striped Milan kits speckled across the arena. I sat in my seat breathing heavily at the sight of our stars warming up. Hazard, William, Costa... Oscar and the snake Courtois. Ooh. I watched in awe as the flurry of attacks resulted in a 3-1 victory to our boys in blue. And in the blink of an eye, the full 90 minutes had run its course. 
My love for Chelsea started when I was around 13 years old with our prime pedigree of Lamps, JT, Czech, Cole and the and the lot under Carlo Ancelotti. And it brought tears of joy to my eyes to be able to see that legendary blue kit on US soil. One day soon, I'll make the pilgrimage over to the bridge and watch our lads play. Even though it was just an ICC match, it was as if I just watched our lads lift the Champions League trophy and quite an emotional experience for me. I love hearing the stories of many other US fans sharing their stories of the first time they saw their lads play. So if any are listening, please send them in so we can relive the moments. I hope to one day soon make the pilgrimage over to the bridge and buy more than a few pints for the native fans at the cop. Chidge, like I promised on Twitter, I owe you a birthday beer as we both share the same birthday. Ah, I very much appreciated. I very much appreciated the birthday tweet from you back in August. Oh. Anyways, enough rambling from this old Iowa boy. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for all you guys. All you guys do to keep us informed on the ins and outs of our shared love, Chelsea FC. Keep the blue flag flying high. P.S. I've attached a photo of my oh. two-year-old yellow lab named Stanford, rocking his Chelsea mod kit for everyone's enjoyment. <laughs> Cheers, lads. Hope to buy you a couple of pints soon. Logan Bardwell. Uh, I think th this email is also the email of the week. I think they might all be emails of the week this week. But what a brilliant email. Logan, yes, I remember that. And uh, what a fabulous day to have a birthday. You must be a fine man. And it's just that the thoughts occurred to me, chaps, is that if all the people writing bought me a beer, I would probably die of alcohol poisoning. There's a sober, sobering thought, isn't it? But there you go. Uh, I look forward to seeing you, Logan, when you pop over again. Just let us know. I mean, if you've emailed us an email, then you know how to get hold of me. It's very simple. Ping me an email and uh, we'll hook up, I, I promise. By um, the way, December the 4th is Chelsea Bar. It's what? West, is it not West Ham? No, that's the 11th. It's Chelsea Villa. All oh, right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So we got one from Nick Smith. This one is from New Zealand. He says, hi, Chelsea fan cast. I follow the podcast all the way from New Zealand as it keeps me in touch with Chelsea and the opinions of fans. After living in London all my life to the start of this year when I emigrated down under, discussing football with friends and family was sacred time. Since football isn't a common sport here, the podcast is a blessing, and I find myself agreeing and disagreeing with various opinions, which is great. Absolutely right. Disagreement is absolutely encouraged and allowed. Uh, watching Chelsea at 4am is a struggle. Bloody hell, not half. Uh, but I love watching us play at the moment, and unlike Sarri Ball, the football keeps me entertained and awake. From afar, this team has something we've been missing since Mourinho's first team in charge. Our substitutes are making an impact, and we have different options from the wings. We used to have Robin, Duff, Joe Cole, and Idigo Johnson to choose from. Every player was useful and could change a game. From the bench, we had Crespo and Kalu, who, well, Solomon, good old Solomon Kalu, who came up with some vital goals throughout the season. There is a similarity this year with William Hudson-Odoi, Pulisic and Pedro. All four wingers can score and assist, much like the aforementioned players. From the bench, we have Batshuayi and Giroud, who have already scored vital goals in the Champions League and the league. All I can say is that I'm loving Lamps as our manager and can only see more positives to come. Thank you for the amazing podcast and keep up the good work. Up the Chels, Nick. Joe, he makes a good point, which I haven't thought about at all, actually, but... Uh, you know, he's right, isn't he, actually? Uh, uh, we, we, we have, uh, you know, which we didn't kind of expect, I think, to, to begin with, but we've got a bench where people can come on and actually make a difference and have done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll probably touch a little bit about, uh, on Batshuayi in the, the Manchester United game there. But I think he is, I mean, slowly becoming just one of these players who, who 
like appears to impact the game every time he comes on. Um, you know, him him in particular, but also, as you say, the ability to bring on one of Hudson Adoy or, or Pedro or someone like this. And even, uh, you know, even the fact that we, at the moment, you know, if Hasper Lequette is tiring, you get to bring on someone like Reese James at, at fullback is, is, is certainly, I think, uh, you know, in a lot better place than what we've been in, in for, for a number of years now. But it makes such a difference to know that you have, particularly, I think, in, in Batshuayi, White, you've got someone who pretty much, if you look at his sort of goals to minutes ratio this season, he's worth like a goal every 45, 50 minutes or something ridiculous. So, you know, he's he's pretty much worth a, a goal if you bring him on. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great place to be. And as I said, for, yes. for a number of years now, we've not had that. Yeah, good stuff. All right, JK? Hello. <laughs> is it me? Yes, it is yeah. you. Very good. I've got, uh, the problem with this one, Chidge, it starts again at the end. It says, hi, Chidge, Jonathan, whatever the other legend we have on the show this week, at the very end. Have you seen that? Is that supposed to be at the beginning? Uh, yeah, I can, I'm going to remove that because I've got one on the screen. So that was me being a tit and, and just not... Uh, is that yeah. the next it, one? Oh, that's the next one, is it? it? That's for Alex it, Davis. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it finishes Steve Lennox Head Australia. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Uh, hi, gentlemen. I had a tremendous giggle the other day listening to the podcast and hearing Jonathan having a general whinge, first about Ashley Barnes and then later about VAR, a more specific to the referee person. I especially enjoyed the discussion between Mr. Glover in the defence, the referee bit, and Mr. Kidd as the prosecution. Very funny indeed, with the judge, Chidge, attempting to restore order. Regarding the first topic of hilarity, Ashley Barnes putting himself a bat, I couldn't help but reflect and Call some of the robust front men we've all known and loved. Costa, Drogba, Hughes, even back to Ian Hutchinson. There, there are many, and not just forwards. I recall how disliked these champions were by our opponents' fans. The second rant was regarding the quality of the refs, particularly the ones watching the screen. When I couldn't play anymore, I took up refereeing and enjoyed it for 10 years until the knees gave up completely. I love seeing a well timed and successful play on resulting in a goal or an attempt good refs are an essential part of our game tv makes it a very difficult job i think oliver got most of it right and he usually does i think the penalty controversy was just about right and agree with mr glover's summation var (laughs) has been terribly inconsistent and i think prior to any final decision being made the screen should be consulted yes we all agree with that this way at least the on-field ref retains the decision making at the world cup last year we witnessed var for the first time it's been in the a league for the season before the wc and it was great fun with the crowd chanting it was like the tennis line calls anyway that's enough hope to see it with the cock on match day versus uh-huh. what time do you usually get there steve lennox head australia uh, i think yeah, it's steve my... lennox head oh, australia lennox, hey, sorry <laughs> not steve i lennox, don't know though Yes, I don't know. His surname is Steve. He's a, he's a man of mystery. Is it Lennox mm. Head, Joe? Have you heard of that? No, Lennox no. Head. Not no. not not a rugby playing place. So I, I don't know. No, mm. Steve Lennox. Uh, anyway, anyway, but um, can I just, just just give myself an element of um, uh, of uh, uh, um, what's the word? Um, uh, defence here. Because um, uh, I was the Mr. Glover, he said, was the defence, Mr. Kidd's prosecution. In this instance, the defence is, is I, I haven't refed as much as you in the 10 years until the knees gave up completely, but I have refed, Steve. Uh, I did pass my exams and I refed for two seasons. And um, I still stand by everything I said. I just think that, don't think refs are fit enough, don't think they're up the game enough. I think they're all part of a club and uh, they all intimidate the uh, the linesmen 
particularly the guy at Watford at the weekend, was just like some this strange, rather out of shape, um, put upon bloke who couldn't get anything right with the referee. So he didn't bother to put his flag up, just waited for the ref to make the decisions. And uh, and that was really what it was like when I was refing was that you were told as a linesman just um, just to do um, uh, offside and ball in and out of play and not really get involved because you're dealing with their ego. And I just think there are too many of them in this club now and they should just insert some different people um, just, to, just to make it... I agree with you. I think Oliver's a decent referee, but even he is suffering with this. Um, no, it's just my view. Just my view. Just if you were allowed to I mean, views, aren't we? Of course we are. I mean, you know, look... I have no problem with referees, but I have a problem with incompetent referees. And I and I and I, I think they just get worse and worse and worse. And I think one of the reasons they get worse and worse and worse is I think the game gets faster and faster and faster and players get more and more and more devious. You know, and I don't and I and I have sympathy with them for that. I think it's very hard. But when you see some old fucker like Martin Atkinson running around who should have been retired ages ago, it does kind of make you wonder how he still gets to I mean he's supposed to be one of our top referees and he's without doubt the worst and he proved it yesterday in the Everton Spurs match so you know I have a I have a massive problem with stupidity and incompetence anything else I can tolerate but not that and I'm afraid far too many referees exhibit that for me albeit I appreciate they have a thoroughly difficult job and they probably need a little bit more love from us and a little more, a little more understanding. And I kind of get that. All right. Uh, this is an email from Alex Davidson. This is actually specifically about the Chelsea special. So shamelessly, I have included it here. Uh, and it's about the, he says, Ron Harris interview, priceless gold. Thank you for the Ron Harris interview. Well worth the price of admission. Uh, I've been a Chelsea fan since 1969 when I was six years old and had just been brought to London from Washington, D.C. after my mum's divorce. Long story for another time. A rather gloomy time. So naturally, discovering the Kings of the Kings Road cheered life up immensely. What was particularly wonderful about the interview, besides Ron Harris's personality and wit shining through was learning more about Chelsea history in the 60s. This is exactly the point that Joe was making a minute ago. Uh, His thoughts on Greaves and Venables were fascinating. It was the first time I'd heard an insider's account of how those two were allowed to move to Spurs. Um, And his reflections on the camaraderie of the squad, particularly his friendship with Osgood, were charming. And the fact that he was proud to be captain, as, as he was as proud to be captain as we were to have him as captain, brought a tear to the eye. They were indeed a club of fine lads, in uh, quotation marks, because that's what Ron said, who I feel befriended all of those years ago. And, and why I have stuck with Chelsea FC, despite Ken Bates, despite heartbreaking relegations and the nutty managerial turnstile, it's probably my fond recollections of that era that make me and my fellow Blues see so much hope in the Lampard era. What a, what a brilliant email, uh, Alex, not least for allowing me to shamelessly plug the Chelsea special interviews yet again. But uh, for those of you listening to Alex's email, if you haven't got it by now as to why they're just you know well worth getting, then I don't know what is. Anyway, Jonathan. Uh, this is from Tim Wingfield. Good day to all the gents of the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, absolutely love the pod. Love hearing your thoughts and insight from all your years in the terraces. I just want to start with how surprised and happy, happy I am with how Chelsea have been performing so far this year. But I think we still need to temper our expectations and understand we're still massively under construction and are well off a finished article. 
The best example of this is the fact we've lost twice to Man United already this season. Very good point. And we rarely lose to them, almost never at home. Well, we lost last year in the FA Cup, of course. However, as long as we continue to grow and improve, it'll mean when we get to the end of the season, we can assess our squad and add one or two more genuinely world-class players. Because we can't kid ourselves. We do need that to compete on all fronts and not just sit in fourth every year like Spurs. And hopefully the young boys around them also become world-class and you have a Galactico, predominantly English players with a few imports. Now moving on, Chidge, you said a few weeks ago, you what really is the worst of the two evils? If City win this year, not only are they the second team in the EPL to achieve three in a row after United, but more importantly and annoyingly, they equal Chelsea's titles. But when it comes to Liverpool, I've always cared very little for them. I've grown up in an era where they've largely been mediocre, constantly slipping up oh, oh, at the final hurdle. I wasn't alive for the age of Liverpool nation. I didn't have to watch as we toil and they as we toil and they thrive like my father and grandfather had to. And I did too. All I've known is their fans moaning about history but having little to show in the present. However, I've seen in the last few years the level of arrogance and obnoxious noise beginning to arise from their red bellies, and I can now see how unbearable it would be if they won. If the title does make its way to Liverpool, I believe it will only be a momentary victory because when Klopp leaves to manage Germany, which will happen, their team will falter once again. His style will leave with him and they will be left searching once more. Our city a different proposition, though. Are these the building blocks leading them to pure domination if they win again this year? All the best at up the Chelsea. Yes, let's hope our cathedral of football gets underway in the next few years because it really will be the greatest stadium in the world in the world, one built by the gods, not some bland toilet seat looking ground. <laughs> Cheers, Tim. Lovely. I like that email a lot. I like that email a lot. It's a really good point, Joe, actually, isn't it? Um, I, I was listening to the radio today and they were saying that, uh, I mean, it's an, in, it's an interesting point because Klopp has already said he's going to disappear soon and uh, apparently Gerard's going to be his successor. Um but given what Lamps has been doing at Chelsea, um, there's no reason why Gerard shouldn't do as well at Liverpool, really, you could say. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you know, he's, he's yeah. had good experience managing Rangers. You know, they're in a cup final against Celtic soon, aren't they? So, you know, who kn- I had a very interesting discussion with, with Dave the Gooner on the Love Sports Show yesterday because uh, obviously he's in the pit of despair with his beloved Arsenal being absolutely rubbish again and not looking any better than they did under Wenger and... He 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 seems to think that uh, if uh, if uh, Arsenal lose against Leicester, Emery could be on his bike. Uh, and we were talking about who might come in, and you know, would they consider doing a a Chelsea type thing? And the fact that you know we seem to go through cycles of managers. So you know, you had the kind of the the, the Wengers and the Fergusons and the longevity. Then you had the big European elites, you know, the big egos like Mourinho and so on and so forth. And maybe Chelsea, yet again, uh, are setting the trend. So having set the trend by splashing all the cash in 2004, now they're setting the trend by employing a legend as a manager and continuing success. Uh, And maybe other clubs will do the same. So maybe Arsenal might... uh, I I suggested Bergkamp to him, but he insisted that that wouldn't happen. But Vieira might. So maybe we'll see in, you know, over the next 10 years, a lot of big club legends coming, you know, young big club legends coming back to manage their clubs. So there you go. It's my theory. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, I think that's going to be be really interesting to see. I think you, you mentioned Gerald is the obvious one there. I think potentially there was a lot of speculation that was it Mikel Arteta, maybe not an Arsenal legend, but obviously a, a very good Arsenal player at City. One of uh, Pep's coaches was was in the frame to be the mm. manager instead of Emery. I, I'm not sure Vieira actually is doing that great. I think he's managing in France at the moment. Um, Emery, I just think is is not really cut out to, to be a manager. I mean, some of the stories you hear about him still going to training and like willingly being the best player and just sort of demeaning all of his players is a little bit uh, hilarious. Like, like Glenn Hoddle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it'd be, be very interesting to see. Um, I mean, and, you know, City have, have obviously got someone like Craig Bellamy or, or Sean Gota to look forward to. Um, <laughs> <but, so, laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, it'd be, be interesting to see. I mean, I think Lampard maybe is... Again, I don't know if we could put up with another Lampard versus Gerrard debate for the next uh, however many oh, years if they were no. managers of Chelsea and, and Liverpool. But um, I'm, I'm just glad that Lampard is back. And not only that, I mean, the, the coaching staff and just what he, he seems to be doing, I think, is, is the right way. And I'm not sure if you would necessarily replicate that. I mean, you look at Solskjaer at United. Um, you know, whether, whether Gerrard could do that at Liverpool is a different question. But, I mean, he's obviously going into a better team. So it'd be interesting to see if they do pick him up. Yeah, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Anyway, uh, we've got uh, a good one here from Alan Smith. Hi, team. Well, did you make a specific request for some idiots to write in instead of the usual crowd of erudite, intelligent types? So, three... <laughs> I, I think that's a bit harsh on you, Alan. We haven't even read it yet. Anyway, three random points. <laughs> one, am I in isolation and thinking losing to United and being kicked out of the Caribou Cup is a bloody good thing? Uh, the whole affair is a waste of time, a needless sideshow that no one really takes seriously. As I understand it, the historical reasons for the thing existing are a kind of football league version of the FA Cup, which surely is no longer in any way relevant. I note that Liverpool are already making serious noises about withdrawing. Our exit means we can concentrate resources, energy and attention on more important things. Europe, the Premier League and the FA Cup. We will answer that question, Alan, in the next part. Two, on a serious note, I have to say I totally agree with your choice of email of the month going to David's communication. The guy went out on an emotional limb sharing stuff that was really important and profound. Personally, I'm fortunate fortunate enough not to suffer PTSD, but I do have friends who do, and I know how much it can impinge on your life. This guy has already proved his guts in his professional life, and now he has confirmed this with an email which showed such courage in talking about his personal travail. Respect to him in the highest... Couldn't agree more, Alan. By the way, um, I, I have had several uh, either you know uh, direct messages on Twitter or emails into the show saying we're in Australia too, and we thought David's email was fantastic. What a fantastic bloke he sounds! Can we get in touch with him out in Australia and drink with him at the football and include him in our Chelsea family? And I will absolutely forward those on to him. I'm sure he would be delighted. Uh, he's such a top bloke, and as you said, it was incredibly brave for him to go through what he went through and then to share it with us last week. So I'm glad that this has been picked up by a lot of you, proving, uh, not that it ever needed to be proven, but proving proving what a wonderful bunch you are that listen to this show. So there you go. Anyway, point three. I hope you will forgive me going off topic here, but a quick question. Back in the day when I was young, the 60s and 70s, goalkeepers wore the same socks and shorts as the rest of the team to my mind this gave a great look of team unity does today's trend of having the goalkeeper dressing in a totally different strip to the others have any practical reason maybe allowing others to pick them out easily in goal mouth scrambles or is it just to make them look pretty prettier on tv um 
I believe there is a bit of that, actually. I remember, was it um, Czech uh, wore that orange kit because it was supposed to make it harder to shoot against or something weird? Do either of you two remember that? Yeah, he, he picked a colour because it, uh, I think it was that reddishy colour that he had as a goalie jersey uh, or goalie shirt that... Uh, yeah, it was uh, a danger colour to strikers or something. It was something that, in their peripheral vision, it, it, it kind of subconsciously made them panic a bit. So he was very much into that side of the game, wasn't he? I remember the whole Munich thing about everything being blue and Moscow everything being red. So I think that, that's that's a very Czech thing to do. I don't know about yeah. if that's a practical thing that all goalies do, but definitely Czech was uh, ahead of the curve there. From a red stuff point of view and a linesman's point of view, I think it's done deliberately so that um, uh, uh, the goalkeeper can be... Uh, specifically picked out as um, as Alan says so that the referee and linesman know which one is the goalkeeper um, uh, in case there's a handball and they can't work out what it was who did it if they all they can see is the uh, is the same shorts and um, and socks as the rest of the team that was what I thought of what it was Okay, good stuff. All right. Uh, point four. If you're going to do uh, mini docos during International Week concerning those Blues greats who have now sadly passed, could the great Peter Hausman be considered as a subject? A really great player, if perhaps occasionally underrated, uh, and who played such a big part in our 1970 FA Cup win after such a long silver drought. I feel he really deserves some kind of tribute. Couldn't agree more, Alan, actually. That's a very good shout. As usual, your last was absolutely brilliant. Many thanks. Though, with all the talk of cakes, humble pie and biscuits, could we not also have had a mention of donuts in honour of the Hershey Kids hat-trick? Go the Blues, Alan Smith. Great email, Alan. Thank you for that. Jonathan. Number eight, Mark Graver. Dear all, please excuse the shaky hand, but I'm still laughing at carry-on Chidge's remark on Love Sport about Bakshwai pulling off defenders in the box. Ooh, misses. <laughs> Ooh, misses indeed. It reminded me of the old Rodney Marsh story. At a pre-match team talk, England boss Alf Ramsey said to March, said to March, Marsh, if you don't work hard, I'll pull you off at half time. To which Rodney replied, Christ, at Man City, all we get is a cup of tea and an orange. He never played for England again. Only ever played nine times, I think. I like Marsh. He was the type of player I admired as a young fan in the early 70s. Marsh, Tony Curry, Stan Bowles and, of course, Aussie. Mavericks that didn't fit the accepted England mould and they did it playing on mud. And they did it playing on mud, I should say. Last week, Chidge, I think it was also mentioned... Uh, last week, Chidge, I think it was also mentioned, Johan Cruyff. He was possibly my favourite player of that era, apart from Ian Hutchinson. It seems it was easier to like players from other clubs in those days. I saw Cruyff at Wembley when the Dutch beat England 2-0. Cruyff, Rep, Nieskins, etc. Thanks to the inter- thanks to Internet, as he's put, to Internet, I found it was in February 9th, 1977. In February the 9th, 1977. So I was almost 12 and a half years old. Speaking of other clubs, I also have a soft spot for Watford, as my grandfather was a director there in the late 50s and early 60s. He later became chairman of Colchester United. He was their chairman when they knocked dirty leads out of the FA Cup in 1971 and at the end of the season treated the players and their families to a holiday on the Costa Brava, which by all accounts was more than a little like 40 towers. My dad now passed was a Watford fan and my brother still is, though he now lives in Eastleigh, so he's a near neighbour to Chidge. Dad took me to my first Chelsea match at home against dirty leads in January 1975. We lost 2-0. He took me to Wembley in 77 to see Cruyff. 
He also took me to my last Chelsea match, a pre-season friendly against Watford and Vicarage Road in 2003, just as we started the Roman era. Duff, Bridge and Jeremy had just signed. We won 4-1 and I moved to New Zealand a few days later, though this had nothing to do with the result. To close, I'd like to quickly add two things. The Jorginho Kovacic midfield is looking pretty good. The way they keep and or win back possession, the way they both pass is very impressive. We're praising Jorginho for his control, calmness, speed of thought and passing. The tight, quick passing to invite pressure to break the press can be a little nerve wracking for my 55 year old heart, but works more often than not. I shouted, who fit out at the time? <laughs> but can we really criticise him when it fails if we're praising him when it works? Or is it a case of learning more options? Type passing or OZ? Z, not Z. Thank you. <laughs> and lastly, without seeming too fawning, I just want to add to the ongoing thanks for all the work the oh. Fancast team puts in. I can watch the league games here on a legal subscription streaming service. But living this far away, there always seems to be something slightly missing in the end atmosphere probably because more often than not it's an early morning on my own in front of a computer screen i miss the day-to-day -day connection the being carried away by it all the smell of beer and sticky pub carpets it's the connections inclusiveness memories and insights that you guys bring to fans near and far that really reminds me that i'm part of something bigger something called chelsea so thank you and best wishes mark graver sweet God, Good bloody, start. it almost brings a tear to the eye, mate. That's yeah, a fantastic lovely. email. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. And, and some great memories there. I remember a lot of those games. I remember the the, uh, the uh, Dutch beating England 2-0, actually. I remember that vividly. And, of course, I agree, actually. Marsh, Tony Curry, Stan Bowles. Uh, we were very lucky uh, to grow up in that era. Sorry, Joe. And uh, there were some amazingly daft players. I tell you, uh, Frank Worthington as, as well, he, he should get a mention. He was nuts. Yes, uh, and and Robin was it Robin uh, Robin Friday wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the maddest of all, a real cult hero. Anyway, Alan, uh, Alan, Mark, brilliant email, uh, and thank you for the real. I mean, actually, thanks to everybody who, who quite often they sign off their emails with all this massive appreciation and love for what we do, and uh, and and say how how much they feel connected uh, to everything because of that. It's just really heartwarming and lovely hearing that. And I on, I don't know about you, Jake. I'm always really humbled to hear that, I've got to say. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's it's um, it's really lovely the way that, that you think that what we do is, is, it communicates so much because, uh, you know, occasionally I uh, think when I'm speaking, I'm thinking, you know, well, I'm... I'm, 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 am I saying enough to you about what you know how we feel about what's going on uh, on the pitch? But um, I'm pleased it comes across so well. Thank you so much. So great. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Right. Okay. Uh, email number nine from Josh Barrow. Dear Chidge, J.K. and the Fancast crew. I just wanted to touch on last week's email about the state of VAR. The author wrote about how wonderfully VAR was implemented in the 2018 World Cup and that the Premier League should follow that model. I agree that the way it was handled there was a shining example of how it can be done well. However, we must remember that the World Cup did not feature a single Premier League referee. And we all know why. Yes, indeed. There's been a lot of discussion over how poorly VAR has been implemented, and rightly so. But I think there should be just as much of a conversation about the abysmal state of refereeing in general. It's been brought up on the fancast a number of times that the on-field referee seems to believe that the assistants are there only to flag for offside and not act as true assistants. 
Jonathan's point earlier on absolutely bang on. Given the pace and physicality of the game, it is perhaps more difficult than ever for a referee to see everything that's happening on the pitch, and therefore imperative that the assistants play an active role in officiating matches. I don't pretend to know how the current system is structured, but it's not working and must be reformed. One thought I had was to have officiating teams that work together every game. The matches are reviewed and the officiating team is judged by their performance. The teams that do well could be rewarded with more high-profile matches and those that fall short should be held accountable, perhaps even something akin to a relegation system. This would incentivise them to work together to get it right and those who persist in using matches to inflate their own egos would quickly find themselves falling behind. It's just an idea and it could be a bad one, but something must change. The current state of refereeing in the Premier League is doing more to bring the game into disrepute than any Jose Mourinho post-match interview ever could. Thanks for all you do. Keep up the good work and as always, keep the blue flag flying high. Best regards, Joshua Barrow. I, I mean, you know, he, are you sure you didn't write that in, JK? <laughs> I'd like to have done. Yeah, but he's, he's absolutely right. It's, um, it, but it's not going to happen that, um, that they're not. It, it's the whole way. I've said this before, the whole way that the. That, that it's structured. It's a completely different structure to rugby. Who they're all refs. That what they should do is give the linesman an opportunity to ref the games and move it around. So you get you then get a, a, a much higher standard. But it's not. It's there's a, a pecking order, and they've they've got to the top of the tree. Um, you know, well, I mean, I always feel for the poor, the poor line, linesman, the poor assistants, because that's all they ever do in life. They've been they've been given that as being I'm a I'm a linesman. You're chosen to be a linesman. No, that's not the way it should ever be. It should be that you can do everything and anything, and you can move from from one position to the other with with regularity. And then you you've got a standard. You've got you've got as 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 um, as Joshua says, there's uh, there's um, uh, competition going on, um, but. It's it, it's um the, the the role of the linesman has to be uh, absolutely involved, and they they won't do it because of the the ego of them um, being in charge. It's about them saying, "I'm in charge. You're just you're you're not part of this. Well, you're part of the team, but what I say, I, you must defer to me." And you can see that all the time, and it's just not good enough in the in the way that the professional football is being played Indeed. i mean the, it, it's, it's too much of a club it's the internal it's the club of keeping everybody together rather than be, being critical people aren't being critical enough of it anything to add joe um not much really i mean i, I kind of agree i mean someone who, who played rugby to a pretty decent level in the in the sort of earlier life at least um i always just found rugby rugby referees just a lot more in control of the of the proceedings and it's got nothing to do with this sort of ridiculous aspect of you know rugby rugby people talk about respecting the referee and all this sort of nonsense i just think that they they kind of got the context of get of the game a little bit more than than, than some of the premier leagues are ref that we're we're seeing now um a little bit some of them seem to be obsessed with their sort of personality you, you I mean you saw that if you see mike dean i can't remember what whatever football team he supports in the crowd you know making sort of their you know, a, a goal they scored kind of all about him and blatant, being blatantly obvious that he was in the crowd celebrating. But, you know, this kind of cult of, of celebrity that some of them, I mean, that Twitter account is, is fantastic. The the celebrity refs Twitter account, you know, it just seems that they, they want to be seen and they want to be heard on. I always think that the mark of a great referee, and, and this is in any sport, is, is if you don't notice them during the game, that normally means that they've had a pretty good game. You know, when they start uh, kind of imprinting their their own kind of personal opinion on the match, you know, I mean, you can play, you know, two, two exactly same matches back to back both physical you know both sides getting stuck in and 
depending on, on which referee you have, the, the direction of that game can can massively change. And it shouldn't be. There should be some sort of consistent interpretation, a bit more consistency. And I think you get that in other sports and maybe not so much in football. But again, I, I don't know how you potentially go about solving that. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that, mate. Right, we've got the last email of the week, Marathon Week this week and uh, it's from our weekly contributor uh, Leonard Rojo or Rojo who uh, uh, used to be called uh, Lenny Z uh, not Lenny Z because Zed's dead baby anyway <laughs> hi guys always a pleasure writing to you all and now is the time to talk about uh, Jonathan I'm reading your email out or did you read mine out did I read the last one uh, I did didn't I it's yours it's yours it's you it's you <laughs> Uh, email number 10 Lena Rojo hi guys always a pleasure writing to you all now's the time to talk about something dear to us all Sanford Bridge I don't know about you I think that now is the perfect time to renew and build our new stadium and on top of it raise the planned capacity from 60,000 to 70,000 and this is why we have now one of the Premier League's youngest and most exciting squad and even more so a very exciting future in Gilmore and Gallagher and the other youngsters coming through a gaffer that also promotes this philosophy. We've most probably our lowest wage bill in years. We're the only top six club that don't have a 50,000 capacity or more. And foremost, a club of our stature shouldn't settle for less than being in the top. I say, what could be better than looking on a great blue sea of blue brothers and sisters that is there under one flag, one team, and one love. Hope to hear your thoughts on the matter, more so now that this subject has been under the radar for so long a time. On a final note, I'd like to give all you guys much blue love on the fan cast that give us fans all over the globe a voice when we feel unheard and unity when lonely, togetherness when lost. Something to look forward to after the games that gives us, gives some of us purpose or meaning to the joy you give some that have been down on their luck. Ooh. I haven't been a long time living listener but i can already see a thin red line of appreciation from the fans that tell their stories and the meaning you have in some of their lives i hope you all see your own greatness and you never stop doing the podcast because with that great power comes great responsibilities much love and appreciation leonard blimey leonard i'm a bit worried about my response great responsibilities i don't i just i would watch it and just talk about it so oops i hope but i hope i'm pleased that you think that we're uh, we're coming across well so thank you uh i'm pretty sure we will uh get the i think the stadium will happen sometime sooner or later i really do i don't think roman's going anywhere i think he still loves the club very very much but uh leonard it's it won't be seventy thousand, mate that the, the, the maximum they can do is sixty thousand because of the issues with egress and access i'm afraid so and also do from a right to light aspect the um yeah, the east yeah stand exactly will be enormous because that the because of the the graveyard behind and the uh, foundations and the rest of it going down towards uh, um, the uh, the Matthew Harding end will be small uh, because of the 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 uh, the houses behind it. So it'll be a, a very interesting, slightly out of proportion ground in the end. But yeah, sixty thousand is the capacity. That's it. Yeah. There we go. All right. Uh, as always, Leonard or Lenny Z or Lenny Rojo. Always good to hear from you. Right, that's all the emails we've got this week. We love getting them, as you know. We will always read them out. We just don't care. You know, if, we, if it takes an hour to read them out, we do. Uh, 
The only danger and worry I have is if Joe decides he's never coming back because he had to go and have a sleep for half an hour. But, you know, other than that, we'll read them out. Uh, send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com and make sure you get them to me by Monday morning at the absolute latest, otherwise you miss the cut. Right, part four, final part, a uh, quick roundup of the United and the IX. Well, we're going to have a preview of the IX game. And I'm also going to talk about the Who Knows Wins Chelsea Fancast Match Predictions League, which I didn't win this week. And am I sulking? Yes. We'll be back in a minute. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Welcome back. I'm Stanford Chich, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. It's been a a humdinger tonight. A largely belter, because we've got a belter, a belter. Largely because we've got Jonathan on as always, but of course. More particularly, we've got the wonderful Joe Tweedy on as well. Evening, Chich. You're missed in Gate 17, mate. I have to say it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate what happens when you uh, when you migrate to another country. <laughs> I know, I know. We miss you. I mean, I, 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 Darren, who I haven't seen for ages, came up to to see me on the shelf behind where you used to sit, and that's the first. He said, "Where's Joe Tweedy?" He was very upset that you weren't there. Yeah. I had to explain to them that you weren't if he's around. Yeah. No, I know, but there you go. Now he hates the fan cast. He won't be listening. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, maybe he does. I don't know. Stranger things have happened. But uh, no doubt. Well, well, you are coming back soon, aren't you? We're going to see you for a game. Surely. Yeah, definitely over Christmas. I mean, the, I, I don't want to delve too much into it, but generally, if I'm home for a game, I, I've got, I think, as you know, I've got such a massive Chelsea family that I'm normally kind of with them at the moment. But I, I will definitely try and uh, make time for, for other people when I'm uh, back over Christmas. Yeah, let me know. I'm, of course, I won't be going to the Christmas matches because I shall be marooned and isolated down in Hampshire. But don't let that worry you. We'll catch up and have a beer, I'm sure. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, we've been running this now for a month. This is our second month. It's called uh, Who Knows Wins, and it's basically um, kind of it's betting on the football, really, but in a kind of a nice, friendly sort of way. It's not like uh, having to deal with bookmakers and odds and all of that. It's basically. You know, we create a league every week and I tend to choose uh, the Premier League matches that are on at the weekend. And then you you have a buy-in amount, which is usually a fiver. You have to go and download uh, the Who Knows uh, Wins app and then register an account, deposit some money. And it's five quid to buy uh, to buy into the league that weekend. Uh, And then you select, you know, who you think is either going to win, lose or draw. And then if enough of us get in there, because it's like it's a pool, it's pool betting. So, you know, if 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 100 people sign up and, and join the league, then that's 500 quid in the pot. And you have a chance of winning that. Uh, uh, and I think the, the, the winner gets 70 percent. And then basically it's a bit like the ride, uh, the, the golf open. You know, if there's lots of people who, who win, then nobody else gets any money. But I shall explain more about this in a minute. But I have to say it's huge amount of fun. And we get a fair amount of people in there every week sometimes it goes public so non-Chelsea fans are in there but that doesn't seem to matter we've got a lovely chat room so we have a bit of banter as well and it really has been great fun and it's actually kind of rekindled my love for football a bit because normally I can't be asked with anything other than Chelsea but it's amazing when you've got a bit of money at stake you don't half uh, get interested in what else is going on <laughs> I can tell you I was so chuffed that uh, Everton got that equaliser uh, against uh, 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 Spurs because uh, I had them down for a draw. Anyway, uh, very simple. No bookmakers. You can bet against your friends and your colleagues. Social chat section to every league with the live score updates and it's simple to use and it is great fun. And the winners were this week. Not me. 
very disappointed to say no. Uh, but I tell you what, actually, we had we had 31 people in there, so the pot was 155 quid. And I'm really glad to say that three Chelsea lads uh, ended up uh, winning winning the you know winning the money. Daryl M M did brilliantly. He won 103 quid. How about that? Uh, and he got eight out of ten predictions right. So that's pretty good going. And I'm also delighted to say that Sam. Cullen and CT26, they came second. They were tied second and they won 22 quid each. And Sam's had a really bad run recently, so it was really good to see him get the money. And then in fourth, tied fourth with about 500 others, was your own Stamford Chidge, Del Boy, loads of others too. Uh, sadly, we won nothing because basically your top three is, is what gets some money and nobody else did, uh, including Paul Burgess and Nigel Bird and a few others that we know and love. Uh, they were all tied with me, I think. Uh, Chips, Chiverton, he was in there, but he didn't win any money. But, you know, you, you, you've got to be in it to win it, really. And uh, that's, a, that's the second time somebody's won over 100 quid. So, you know, you get a few people in there and it can be a lot of fun. And as I said, it doesn't half garner a bit of interest in the football over the weekend. And we have some we have some fun chats in there, too, you know, as well. So, it's, it's it, I, I mean, you know, if you don't like betting, then don't do it. It's very simple. But if you do like a bit of flutter, this is a nice, friendly... Uh, easy way to do it and as I said I, I think pool betting is much more fun than odds betting so there you go uh, as I said download it who knows wins download the app from uh, Apple uh, or or Google and uh, register an account and play and I shall hopefully get the next league up in the next day or two so there you go uh, we still haven't been able to tempt you Jonathan not a, not a gambling boy are you really uh, no not really no I just uh, I never keep these things going this is the trouble I go enthusiastically enroll and then just forget to do it and then think oh god I'm supposed to have done that this week and then it's I know you're busy oh, so you're I should, I should, I'm getting so many of the, of the match results correct you know I, well you should you should win mate I mean I eight, eight out of ten won it normally if you get eight out of ten you're going to win this I know I'm being a mug I know, it's, yeah. it's, the, it's the time though it's the trouble as I say you know, I've got so many things I start off and then uh, I think, oh, God, I'm supposed to be doing that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. See, my my downfall, I had a horror show, basically, because I stupidly predicted five draws this weekend. Uh, and guess what? Guess who let me down again this weekend? West Bloody Ham. Unbelievable. I had that down for a draw and they, they were getting stuffed and somebody else let me down hugely. Uh, who else let me down? Burnley. I thought Sheffield United Burnley nailed on draw, and I thought Brighton Norwich nailed on draw. Both of them absolutely screwed me. So I only got six out of ten this week, and therefore not didn't win anything. But it's great fun. Joe, you are, you do you like a flutter on the footy? No, that's uh, that's definitely not one of my vices. I don't think I'm. Uh, I don't think I've ever placed a bet in my life. So <laughs> haven't you? No, but this isn't like betting. It's kind of just like predicting stuff. Yeah, no. Of, yeah, I mean, uh, somebody works in uh, in banking. I've uh, I, I look at <laughs> look at people who's well. I should maybe yeah. just just hold myself with some comments there. But yes, I've uh, you you bet on life, mate. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I know exactly what you mean. All right, enough of me promoting gambling for the non-gamblers but if you do like a flutter i commend it to you it's great fun they're nice people who knows wins mob as well so there you go right uh okay last week we had chelsea man united um which frustratingly we lost it was a very i couldn't make it because it was midweek so i'm working down here until late and i watched it on the box it was really frustrating and i just kind of to my overriding feeling about this really joe was that how on earth have we lost to this shit team twice this season i couldn't believe it but we were very poor in the first half. I thought we were very good in the second half. But, you know, I, is it really as simple as saying we were basically done by two mistakes and two well-executed set pieces? 
I mean, part of me, I think when I was was talking about the, uh, let's say, our, our midfield in particular during the Watford game for how good they were, I, I have a feeling that United have stumbled on something, maybe, you know, I, I hope this isn't something that other teams pick up, but they actually, they gave Kovacic and Jorginho like a lot of space compared to other teams. And I think my one my one crit- like criticism of them as players is, you know, I think, I don't know if you've seen the passing stats from Kovacic against Watford, he played like 7 million passes and I think he created one chance. You know, when, when we're, when we have to take the game to teams and we have to be on the front foot and we expect the midfielders to create and drive and be more more than just controlling the game. I think that there's a little bit sometimes when I'm not as as uh, keen on, on the pairing. And I think maybe Man United with Fred and McTominay, they're not fantastic players by any stretch of the imagination. And maybe this was more by luck than design, but they were definitely giving uh, Kovacic and Jorginho space to turn and face play and then, you know, asking them to play that, you know, that one in a minute, that kind of one Hollywood pass that, that you know, that, that Jorginho played against Watford. So I, I think there was a little bit of element of that, but I mean, equally as well, I mean, you know, Marcus Rashford scores a three kick that he, he may never score another three kick where he strikes the ball as well as in, in his entire life. And I think again on the, uh, on the, you know, the, the, the sort of penalty and the penalty that, that was scored as well. It just it just seemed a Very little bit soft. of a kind of a litany of, of errors really. But uh, mm. you know, second half, uh, I think we, we played better. We seemed to be in a little bit more control of the game. But it took us, I think, a while. And I, I think maybe we were a bit surprised by how kind of tentative United were. You know that we, they didn't have a lot of the ball. They weren't really pressing. They were quite happy to hanging back, stick five at the back and hang back and yeah. and you know yeah. I think. Those those will be the games to be. It will be interesting to see how Chelsea play over the course of the season when teams challenge Chelsea to. And, and again, you know, United have still they've still got good players. You know, and when when teams have got good players, challenge Chelsea to be to be the aggressor. That will be very very interesting to see how we solve that in the future. Because I think Jordan, if we go to City and Liverpool, we've got we've got more of a chance because they'll they'll come onto us and then that plays to our strengths more. Don't you think the selection though uh, contributed to that as well? Because. Uh, Batshuayi, for all his uh, um, uh, excellence as a, as a uh, somebody who comes on as an impact sub, um, I don't reckon he he's uh, in Tammy's um, uh, league when it comes to the kind of role that uh, that Frank wants him to play because um, he's not as uh, he's not as agile, he's not as uh, um, he's just not as speedy. He's he, he's he, and he doesn't hold the ball up wonderfully. He's clearly very good at. at you know, he'll pick a spot and have a go, and he's terrific uh, scoring in the in the penalty area. Yep. But as he showed, even from twenty five yards away. But I just felt we were labouring, not having somebody as quick and as uh, and as just intelligent as as Tammy has revealed himself. And um, and similarly, I didn't think that uh, that Pulisic was uh, was uh, really at the races as he had been the weekend before. Yeah. And uh, and so we uh, and Gilmore, for all his clear promise. Um, uh, isn't Mount, and uh, and it also revealed to me how, uh, as we were talking about earlier, how um, really on the ball Mount is for just pressing and just keeping the energy going. Yeah, and, and I think, and and also William wasn't playing, and William has been playing out of his skin and protecting and coming back and defending, as well as being the skillful player that we know he is. And I think, I think that the uh, those five changes um, contributed to our performance. Um, particularly in the first half, where the ball just wasn't being pushed around at all, anywhere yeah. near as swiftly as it has been in the in the past. So I, I wasn't surprised that we played so well again at the weekend, back to the team that we we, we were. And unfortunately, as I said earlier, when Pedro when he came on was just 
uh, absolutely, uh, I mean, just execrable. I mean, really awful. And you just thought, what is going on here? This is your chance. Everybody else, when they come on, is is improving, is 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 playing well and, and thinking, I want to get in the team. And here you See, are. See, the, th- the thing is, Jonathan, you know, these young lads like Pedro, they need a run of games, really, to get into the rhythm. You know, that's what it is, mate. No, I mean, I think you, you make very valid points there, JK. I mean, I, I, I thought about Gilmore. I think he's an excellent player, but I just felt that him... Uh, Jorginho and Kovacic are too similar and yeah. Frank made that point we didn't have anybody from the midfield breaking the lines as he likes to call it which is what Mount does so brilliantly yeah. so I thought that they were all a bit too samey-samey I also agree with you Joe I think that um, I think United did pick a very strong side actually yeah. as much as they can pick a strong side these days but what they did was they packed the midfield and they defended, you know, quite, you know, they had no creativity whatsoever. I, mean, I actually had this out with Matt Beadle on Friday night on the Love Sports Show because he's a Man United fan. And I said, you, they're rubbish, really. I mean, they've got, they offer nothing. They've got no creativity in midfield. Three shots. Yeah, three shots. One was the penalty, one was the free kick. Just picked the ball out of the net. Yeah. did, one other shot. That was it, straight out. But they've got no, they've got no creativity whatsoever in the midfield. But they do have you know, in, in Rashford, a very good player, and they can play on the counter-attack. And I think it... You're right, Joe. I think it's... I think that, the way they were set up and the way that they played stumped Chelsea, but also the fact that we didn't really have an awful lot of creativity or anybody really going forward in midfield that didn't help either. So, in a sense, it was kind of... Uh, you, you can make sense of why we didn't come up trans. Although I thought we created a lot more in the second yes. half. We had a lot more energy and we were... We were creating chances. We just weren't putting them away, really, I thought. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, I mean, the, the goal that Batshuayi scored was was actually just incredibly good. I mean, well, everything everything about it reminded me yeah. of Drogba, of, of Costa, that sort of strength. Yeah. And he's such, a, he's such a fascinating player because I don't think there's a player in the squad who can score that kind of goal that he did. You know, the the, the, the kind of turn, the power, the pace to, to get away. But it's also, he's, he's just got this amazing... I know it sounds such a basic concept, but it reminds me of Harry Kane that they can just strike a football so well from so many different situations. They're completely two-footed. And the shot as well just seemed to completely take, you know, the keeper by surprise. It was hit so powerfully, so, you know, so well into the bottom corner. And there's a freeze frame of when he's actually about to take the shot. He's the only Chelsea player in, in you know, in, in camera shot. There's, I think, a six United players yeah. kind of near him. And it was just, it was just such a stupendous goal. And I think that will be the... The kind of the, the, the to in and throwing with, with Batshuayi is that this Chelsea team now, particularly without Eden Hazard, is very much a sum of its parts. It's very much a team. You have people that need to do specific roles. I think it's why Tammy gets a nod in the lead because he gives you that energy. You know, he runs the channels. He, he can hold the ball up. He's he's kind of a focal point of attack. It's why Mason Mount is so important. Even if he's not scoring, if he, even if he's not assisting, you know, his, his kind of intrinsic part is kind of, you know, real, real kind of key piece of this pressure game that we play it's why Tomori plays at the back it's why well Will- William too William you know Kovacic why these players have become so mm-hmm. integral to the side and I think if you start putting in a play on it again I'm not knocking the fact that that somebody is a great goal scorer but if you take away some of that all-around game particularly guys like Mount and, and Tammy and, and Jorginho and Kovacic yeah, if you take yeah, them out yeah. of the side and I think you, the, the kind of the sum of the team falls apart because we don't have that superstar to just bail us out during a game it has to be a, a fully functioning well all team and I think that was a little bit of of all the changes we made, that that kind of fluidity yeah. was, was sort of removed. Yeah. Can I just make a point about the goal? It was, it was reminiscent of Mark Hughes against Vicenza because it yes. was a big, yeah. Kick, yeah. a big kick and he and it was a cushioned header in the same way. And then he took it um, 
to the right of uh, um, of um, what's his face centre centre half um, uh, Maguire Maguire, Maguire. and uh, it wasn't a volley but it was still a, a shot with great power. It was a great goal. What was so oh. lovely about it was I was what I, Alex was my guest and I said. I said, God, Batshuayi is not playing very well. He needs to do needs to do something like a worldie. And on on cue, that moment, he suddenly <laughs> did that. And I went, bloody hell! Look what I've done. I did that. I said, look, marvelous. Um, but yeah, no, it's. Um, I agree completely. I think that was the the problem with it. It 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 the the five changes. Um, although they're good, they're, they're decent players, and they obviously work very well in, in training because that's Frank's big thing. Just do not quite contribute to the whole which Frank is creating. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, though, it was really interesting because Joe mentioned earlier, or, or you, Jonathan, I can't remember, but of course, you know, one of the worst, I mean, the, one of the only times I've ever left a game early was last season when we lost 2-1 to United in the FA Cup. And, oh. I, and I left because he brought, uh, Sarri brought on Zappacosta <laughs> for Aspilicueta, <laughs> at which point I thought, what the fucking fuck are you doing? You are not trying to win this game. So if you can't be asked, nor can I, I'm going to the pub. Well, the the difference this year, we lost 2-1 again to them, but at least we were trying to win it right up to the end. And Frank was making positive substitutions to try and do that. So in a sense, I, I felt much better if one can ever feel better losing to United. And of course, there are no circumstances at all when that can be the case. But, you know, uh, I felt slightly less bothered this time because at least I thought we'd given it a go. I think the interesting thing that cut the takeaway from me other than Batshuayi scoring a cracking goal was also actually, as I think um, one of our emailers, I'm sorry, I forget who it was, but... Uh, they they were saying that actually going out of the cup might have a longer term benefit for Chelsea, Joe, this season. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's becoming such a, a feature now of of the modern game is is that you know if you don't have a a world class squad then it's very difficult to be competitive all fronts and I know that's something that you know kind of uh, in early stages of the Abramovich that Chelsea really pride themselves on in having almost or maybe in most cases two international players for, for you know for one position and. I don't think now, particularly in the modern game, you know, you see players kind of very quick to sort of complain about the lack of game time they get that 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 is possible. But if you can reduce games, and I said, I mean, I, I would like to be in the competition. I think it's a, it would have been a good competition to win for, for Lampard, almost in in the sort of Mourinho sense, that first tro- trophy to win as a group. But you know, in some cases, particularly this season, if the focus is on you know taking a transfer ban and then you know, looking to, to sort of still be in the Champions League so we can attract that 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 level of talent that we want next season. Then sure, you know, to kind of top four and progress in the Champions League are for me the most important things. Um, mm. you know, and, and not having those extra games, I think that they they kind of, you know, will hopefully come into play. I mean we we've seen Dest already this season. I'm not suggesting that the only reason that they're in the top four is because they're playing once a week. But you know, we saw it under Conte when we won the title so comfortably that having the same team every single week allows for continuity allows for your best players to play all the time, minimises the impact of injuries, etc. So, you know, I think it, the less games in some cases can be seen as a positive in this case. Indeed. All right. Now, uh, we've got a big match tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Ajax, uh, Chelsea versus Ajax. Uh, bad uh, cut and pasting from me there. Uh, Chelsea versus Ajax. It's the return leg of uh, what was, I think, uh, our best performance and result under the Lampard era so far. That 1-0 win against Ajax in the Johan Cruyff Arena uh, where Batshuayi scored the winner in a 1-0 right at the end. It's brilliant. Um, question is, uh, Jonathan, can we can we put in a performance as good as we did in the away leg uh, tomorrow night? Ooh, I bloody hope so. Um, it depends what they, they come along with. I don't know. I, I think... Um, 
uh, I got the impression we were we were uh, it was we were hugely um, uh, we played out of our skins because of the situation. Uh, so we were hugely up for it, and uh, I think we'll be up for it again tomorrow night. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I, you don't really know. I think I think it might be that because they play a similar style that, that it's it's easy for us to uh, to slot in with it. Um, uh, it I just I, I don't know what the answer is. If they play as well as they played last week against them, we'll beat them again because uh, uh, we were fantastic. Last, the last performance in the European in the Champions League was fantastic. So uh, I can only hope, really. I don't know. Uh, I, you know, in, I wouldn't say it's in a lap of the gods because it's not. But I, I think we'll win. I think we're uh, and if we if we even if we drew, I think that'd be really good for the group, wouldn't it? I think we'd um, it'd put us in a very good situation. But why not? We've beaten them already. Let's just beat them again. We play as well as we did last week. We'll beat them again. I mean, I think the thing is, Joe, is that uh, there's still a lot on this match because although I think both Ajax and Chelsea will very much expect to at least beat either Lille or Valencia, uh, you know, if if whoever wins the match tomorrow night is pretty much through, aren't they, on nine points? So you can expect Ajax to give it a go. And I, I also expect Ajax to... You know, be a good away away side if you see what I mean, because they're capable of punishing you, and they are good defensively. So it could be it could be more of the same. I mean, that's what really impressed me most about Chelsea in the in the in the in the leg over there. The fact that we it was such a mature performance, and um, it was a proper European tie. We were it was a cagey match. We defended uh, heartily, but we we mugged them off with a goal at the end. And I I could see it being a very tight game again tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the one of the interesting dynamics, and I know you've got it as a point here, is the fact that they won't have any, or let's say, they won't have a designated area for their away fans. Because mm. I'm, I'm sure there'll be some in there, but I mean, they won't they won't have that kind of cauldron of noise in in the corner that we often see in European games. And I'm just I'm just wondering how that affects the the atmosphere. Because if the game's a little bit nervous, you know, if it gets a little bit flat in the in the stadium, you know, I'm, I'm not sure really how how both sets of players will react. I mean, I've seen games played behind closed doors, and we've just one set of fans there. And you can feel sometimes like the energy level of the players is a little bit affected by it. So I'm quite curious to see how that pans out. But I, I kind of agree um, with with Jonathan. I think if we if we play to our potential, I think again playing at home, you know, we can we can maybe be a little bit more on the front foot, um, you know, and uh, I think maybe take the game to them a little bit more than than maybe we did in the away leg and, and treat it more as a you know a must win game for us. Because I, I agree, if we win the game, I think we're we're pretty much through. Um, and, and that would be I think how I how I would approach it is to try and go for the win. Um, treat it as a as a knockout game and, and and hopefully as I say you know the the kind of the the momentum we've built kind of over the past couple of uh, weeks particularly you know in the in the Premier League and also off the back of, uh, of probably one of the best Chelsea performances in in Europe that I can remember in the past five six years um, you know take that into yeah. this game and, and finish them off you know well there you go you know what I was saying about Ajax being in a, a good away side they've never lost an away Champions League match in England. Uh, obviously, they beat Spurs last time round. Their last defeat in Europe on English soil was April 1980, a 2-0 semi-final defeat against Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest side, who, of course, went on to win it that year. Chelsea have got a 100% win record in the Champions League matches against Dutch opponents, beating Feyenoord twice uh, in 1999-2000 and Ajax this season. And Ajax have won their last five away Champions League matches uh, prior to this run. So... It's got draw written all over it, hasn't it, lads? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, listen, what we do know is that, that Kante is available, according to Lamps. Uh, he says we've been able to get some work into him. He's in the squad and he's available. Uh, and apparently Barkley and Christensen were also in training after injury layoffs. So, I mean, who, who do you think is going to start, Joe? Um, I'd probably go with the team, I think, that, that started against, probably started against Watford. I would maybe yeah. maybe bring Hudson-Odoi in for a start. Um and potentially, I think that that might be it. I think in terms of the team, give Kovacic and Jorginho the you know the the sort of confidence to to start a game of this magnitude, given the performances that they've had of late. And I mean, again, you know, talking maybe a common theme in this pod today, but um, you know, what a fantastic sub to bring on if you need to bring on a bit of energy in midfield, in in Kante and and, and even Barkley, you know, for a bit of physicality as well. And I think Batshuayi again has proven, particularly in Europe, that he's got that sort of ability to to score um, kind of big, big goals in, in big moments. So again, I think we've, we've got a strong bench, similar team to Watford. I would have said, I'd maybe give Hudson Adoy the nod. Um, I'd like to think that he can start getting into a little bit of better form and a bit of a better groove now. Um, but that, that would be my team. And I think uh, I, I'm, I'm fairly, I sort of fairly confident that we, that we can beat them just will take a, a question of, I think we need to start well and, and how we sort of overcome the, the, I think, which will be a little bit of a cage atmosphere to, to start with. It's an interesting point you make about Batshuayi. He scored one goal every 47 minutes in the Champions League. Three goals in 141 minutes. That's the best minutes per goal ratio of any Chelsea player in the competition. But given we haven't scored that many goals, that's hardly surprising. Sure, uh, Jonathan, once again, as a sub, I think that's his role for this. Oh, yeah. Start with Tammy. Um, I, I was disappointed in the way that adoy has been playing, actually. And um, in the United game, he seemed to be out of position. But... Uh, um, uh, he doesn't seem to be taking players on in the same way, considering particularly that he is clearly deeply talented. So, uh, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see who, who he picks for tomorrow, whether he picks Pulisic or Odoi. But are, are you saying, uh, Joe, that you think that um, uh, Kante will be a sub and that he'd, he'd bring him on later? Or do you think, if because if he starts, who will he drop? Which one will he not play? Kovacic or Jorginho? What would he do? Probably he'd play Jorginho with himself, just with Kante, wouldn't he? And bring Kovacic later on. Possibly. Yeah, I think, I mean, particularly if we're starting to play more of a like kind of a midfield pivot, a pivot two guys in there, I think it's a little bit for me like a good centre-back partnership. You try not to, to chop and change it, particularly yeah. if they're playing well. You know, I think they're both incredibly confident at the moment. Um, but I mean, again, if, if it's a question of, you know, shifting, you know, if it's not working, maybe shifting Mount out wide and then bringing Canty on and playing more of a 4-3-3. But it goes back to what we were saying earlier. I think finally now we're actually seeing that, A, we've got a lot of... Uh, no kind of selection headaches, which is a great thing, but also the fact that I think we can change shape quite easily during games as well, yes. which I think is again yes. not something we've often seen. So I mean, it, it's all positive. It's just a question of you know a bit of a headache, headache for Lampard, but I think he'd rather have this headache than than having to rely on the same eleven players every week because people are out of form, not trusted, or just not good enough. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I think you've got it nailed, Joe. Actually, with the selection, I think he, he won't risk Kante from the start, but he's a good player to bring on, isn't he? Uh, right, very quickly, predictions, Jonathan. You are the predictions king, so you can go first. Two one, two one, Joe. I'm going to go two nil. Uh, okay, I'm going to go one all. Actually, I have a suspicion. I did I did say it's got draw written all over it, so I'm going to suspiciously go for a one one which will be annoying because it means we still won't have qualified yet. We will have to beat Valencia or Lille, but there you go. So we shall see. 2-0, Joe. Three, what did you say? 2-1, Jonathan. 2-1. One. 1-0, one Chidge. Uh, we shall see. Let's one, hope one I'm Chidge. wrong. 1-1, one, one, Chidge, you said. 1-1. One, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm usually wrong, so let's hope that uh, I've, I've kind of reverse-hexed it, if you see what I mean. 
Right, what an epic show, uh, which is now coming to an end. Sadly, it's been so much fun. I could go, I could do another hour or two. It's been so much fun talking to these two tonight. Uh, but it is all we've got time for. I'm afraid we will be back next Monday at the usual time uh, when I'll be joined, of course, by Jonathan and the Franco Baresi of the Chelsea Fancast, Mr. Mark Worrell, Marco Worrell himself, uh, to look back at the Ajax game and the Crystal Palace match, which of course is coming up on Saturday. Uh, in the meantime. Don't forget to tune in to the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio between 7 o'clock and 8pm this Friday. Jonathan, Dan Silver and Dean Mears will be joining Matt Beadle to discuss all things Chelsea as I have got Friday off because I'm going out to dinner. So there you go. So I I shall leave you in the capable hands of JK, Dan and Dean and Matt. Now, uh, do phone in, join in the show and debate with them live. The number to call or WhatsApp is 0208 70 20 558. And of course, Love Sport is now a national radio station and you can get it on all your digital channels, uh, plus radio player, tune in or lovesportradio.com so you can listen to it wherever you are in the world. Uh, And of course, we put it up as a podcast shortly afterwards, uh, as indeed you will find all of our Chelsea fancast related media so chelseafancast.com acast apple soundcloud and spotify uh, and uh, of course chelsea special is is on podbean chelsea special.podbean.com now you can follow us on twitter at chelsea fancast and of course on instagram at chelsea fancast me at stanfordshire jonathan at jonathan kid joe at joe tweedy and of course the other chelsea fancasters are um at goalie 59 at grocer jack uk at dan silver 73 at gate 17 marco at liam underscore Toomey at cfc gwlb at dean mears and at oj harbord and of course our bloggers for whom I'm eternally grateful. If you want to check them out on ChelseaFanCast.com, you can find them on Twitter at Nick Stroudley, at Clitheroe Blue, who does all our match uh, previews and reviews, at Dean Mears, who has his own weekly column, and Alex does her uh, Girl Without Balls at CFCGWLB. So there you go. And as I said earlier on, a massive, massive thank you to Dame Whittle, who's taken over the job of uh, managing our Instagram account at Chelsea Fancast. So do follow what we do on there. He, do- he does a cracking job, much better than I could ever do, because I just don't understand it, basically. So do check it out. Right, that's what we've got time for this week. Jonathan, you've been a trooper as always. Thank you very much. Love to be on with the fabulous Joe Tweedy and yourself, Chich, of course. Well, as always, a pleasure. Uh, Joe, as always, utterly fantastic to have you on the show, uh, and I hope you don't get too cold in Denmark. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, brilliant stuff. We'll catch up with you soon, mate. No fear of that. Uh, And we will catch up with all you lot out there in Mixler, who has, of course, have been brilliant, as you always are. Love reading your comments. Uh, Some good predictions there, I can see. Uh, Kurt says 2-1. Mark uh, says 2-0. Lester says 2-0. You're all being much more positive than me, which is exactly how it should be. We will see you again next Monday. So thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chels. Up the chels! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 